Yo. Head up, think fast. You're about to feel the blast. It's the dopest podcast on the net. Oh, yeah. All us geeks, fresh your bet. We round the world. We round the net. So get ready and get set. Because we make it look easy. No sweat. Jeff and Jordan, the host. Yeah, they be the best. From the north to the south, to the east, to the west. They cover movies, comics, TV shows, books. These guys gonna get you hooked. Don't stop now, just take a look. And don't forget to sign our Facebook. Cause what they doing is board games, video games. Yeah, they on it. They fly like a comet. Interviews is up. This podcast is pure. Give voice to your inner geek, that's for sure. Geek out any topic. No one ain't gonna ever, ever stop it. So if you wanna go and get it on, then head to allisgeeks.com. Welcome to episode 50 of All Us Geeks. I'm Jeff King. I'm Jordan Steinhoff. And we're here to give voice to your inner geek. Get right. off my lawn. <laughs> That's, that has consistently been my inner geek for a while now. <laughs> and one, yes, this is episode 50. Halfway Half- to triple digits. Half- oh no, we'll get a point five in there somewhere. I think we already did. <laughs> And with us is Anime Don is back. Woo! Or with- you know, Stalker Don, whatever. <laughs> wow. Uh, you bring it upon yourself. Yeah. Fine, fine. I'll join Facebook. They've already they, well, they've already heard the uh, geek news by now, so <laughs> you have brought it on yourself. Hey, before we get break breaking news right here. Ready? Your number one fan in Ukraine in exile is excited. Say hi to Don for me. Jonathan on Twitter wanted to make sure we said hi to you. He's our Ukrainian fan that you consistently don't bring him anime news from the Ukraine for. But somehow reason he's still excited you're here. That that guilt hit me deep, man. (laughs) (laughs) But thank you, Jonathan. And, of course, it's pretty cool that I get to say that we have sponsors for episode 50 as well. In fact, the first sponsor I'm going to talk about a little bit is Storyception Games. And Storyception Games has a project that's coming out to Kickstarter here soon. I believe it's going to be out September 9th. And it is called Galactic Arena. Now, they have provided their own little ad pitch for it that I will play for you here in a minute. But I also just wanted to point out up front, because they kind of went all in with all us geeks, and we definitely appreciate that. So, Storyception Games not only took out ad space on the website, so starting on September 9th when they launch that campaign, we will have an ad on the website that you can check out, and uh, if you want to go that route, you can head over to allusgeeks.com and click on the banner link and take you over to the project. Of course, you can look in the show notes, and uh, I believe by the time I get this out, uh, that may have already launched, so it will be there as well. But they also asked for a shout-out, so they took out the ad on the website. They gave us an ad to run on the on the podcast to help sponsor the podcast and a shout out as well. So that's that's pretty cool. Um, they're they're all in with us, and uh, the game looks amazing, Galactic Arena. And unfortunately, uh, time was short, so we could not get in a review. They did ask about a review as well, 
Couldn't get it in in time, unfortunately. I already booked out, but we are going to definitely be checking out this project as it goes along. And uh, they have sponsored this episode and our next episode as well. And to go along with that, we have Minion Games is sponsoring this episode as well. They have a project on Kickstarter right now called Dead Men Tell No Tales. It's a cooperative pirate game that looks just amazing. And this one is already launched. It goes until September 15th, 2014. It's a cooperative game where you're a band of pirates that are looting a burning ship. It's for two to five players. We love our co-ops around here, so I'm actually looking forward to that one. It looks really gorgeous. James from Million Games has also taken out a ad on the website along with sponsoring this episode, so we greatly appreciate that as well. So again, you can click over from the uh, website, allisgeeks.com, if you want to, or from the show notes for this episode, or head over to Kickstarter and look for Dead Men Tell No Tales. Again, that's a uh, two to five player cooperative board game about a band of pirates looting a burning ship. I absolutely uh, love the idea of it. And again, if you go over and check out any of the projects that we talk about here or projects that advertise on the website, all that good stuff, it's always uh, appreciated if you let the people that are running these projects know that you heard about them through All Us Geeks or you saw them on All Us Geeks, uh, all that good stuff, because they like to know as well that, you know, I mean, they're, they're sponsoring us and many of them appreciate what we bring to the podcast area and the game review arena as well uh so it's nice for them to know that you heard about it and you listen to us and all that good stuff the more you tell people about us the more they come and uh, try to find us later so thanks a lot minion games and storyception games we're glad that both of you could join us and sponsor us for this milestone in the podcast yes so this is episode 50 which is uh a crazy milestone, I think. We've been doing this for quite a while. Yeah, and it's really mildly disturbed. <laughs> I pulled some uh I pulled some stats just for the heck of it. So this is episode fifty of the main podcast. And just for kind of comparison, you know, uh March will be our three years, right? So we'll hit three years coming uh March twenty fifteen. And the original idea was we were gonna be recording every other week, right? So for three years we should have content of seventy two episodes. We just said we're at episode 50, but that's not all we've produced. So uh, I went back and not including this episode or the stuff that I'm editing right now, what we've actually released, we've released 188 pieces of content. So that means Jordan and I can take a couple years off. <laughs> the new listeners will take a while to catch up. Yes. So I, I actually had somebody today like hey, Sean over from Gamers Remorse, the reviewer, one of the reviewers over at Gamers Remorse. He was like, hey, congratulations on episode 50. I was like, thanks. He goes, Seems kind of low. I'm like, well, <laughs> it is. We've produced a lot more than just that's just the main podcast has been 50 episodes so far. So that was kind of cool. Some other stat stalking I did for us today, our top five countries for listening. I know you check this out off and on. So in order for this one, the United States, of course, is our number Cast. one. Hey, USA, USA. <laughs> Germany became our number two. I don't know when that happened. Deutschland, that, Deutschland. That one snuck up on me. It was me. all my talk during World <laughs> Cup. That's right. And then Canada. What the hell? 
Uh, then the UK listeners still doesn't translate much compared to the rest of the world. <laughs> the UK, and then finally Australia rounds out our top five countries <laughs> that are Suck listening. It, Australia, you used to be third. <laughs> uh, Canada used to be like second, didn't they? For quite a while, well, it was like them and UK you every once in a while. Deal with the Blitzkrieg. <laughs> and then on the other end. I uh, grabbed five countries that have only given us one shot. Well, that's two pages <laughs> long. <laughs> so uh, Yemen, of course, we've talked about in the past. We got know one what blip was. and one only long oh, no, time I ago. Like yeah. Oh, what was no, I thinking? No. Uh, so yeah, these are obviously countries with uh, higher intellect <laughs> and good taste. Somebody passing through on airport Wi-Fi. <laughs> El Salvador, Peru, Bosnia, and Mongolia. All of five of those have only given us one shot to impress them, and it didn't work. Come on, Mongolia. <laughs> I go to your buffet once a week. <laughs> and that would be why we got one shot. <laughs> uh, and then I had a couple things here. I wanted a couple emails that I we haven't gotten to yet from everything. So Anthony wanted to check in because it had been a while since he had checked in. Uh, he also... You're still alive. Yeah, yeah. We're still here. You're still there. Good stuff. Life alert hasn't gone off. But he wanted, he said uh, he would not disagree that Marina was a very attractive Deanna Troy. So we're coming back to that. (laughs) But the character was very annoying and he just wanted her to shut up (laughs) again. No, let's not go there. Said he's had the same problem with uh, Hoshi Sato Sato. in in the Enterprise. And again, Linda Park is very attractive, but the character in the first two seasons just whines and complains every time she's on screen. Yeah, she was a waste of a uniform. (laughs) Then he said he's, you know, he'd been checking out the pictures and stuff of the Geek Compound. He was happy to see everything coming along here, which is great. It looks great, by the way. Thank you. Yes, it's been a lot of work. Still a lot more to go, but. It's coming along. Yeah, we are podcasting in our new permanent area. <laughs> Who knows? We'll see. Could change next time you come. You never know. But yeah, we're podcasting in another uh, section away from the games. Now I get to stare at the games when, when Jordan bores me. Maybe. They are very distracting. <laughs> it's a good thing I never bore you. That's true. And then let's see. Still listening. Still enjoying. He really likes draft picks. Uh, congratulates Sarah. Whatever. Uh, <laughs> Sarah crushed me in season three. (laughs) Uh, He's looking forward to season four. He likes some of the changes we talked about for season four. And he also asked, and I'll tell you right now, Anthony, this is on me. I just got to get out of mourning and then find time. But he wanted to know if we were going to finish the Almost podcast. (laughs) I still have two episodes to really, well, technically three. Mike has asked a couple times, too, if we're ever going to do the wrap up. Uh, No. I've, I've been in mourning. I, I just can't, I can't even look at, cause you know what? I gotta actually say, it's uh, three months, other Mike. Let's, <laughs> let's just let it go quietly into that good night. <laughs> I gotta, I gotta say it's unfortunate it didn't get, uh, renewed to just from the fact that I think our last two episodes were some of the best. I mean, we just, we got stupid. We had given them two seasons worth of story ideas. <laughs> yeah. We, yeah. We wrote the next season. What the hell? <laughs> Didn't even ask for money. I will edit Just them. Credit. Just put my name on screen. I will edit them at some point. I will put them out. You will get to hear our thoughts on the entire season. You know, uh, the GeekCast Network Twitter feed, I don't know if you see that at all every once in a while, mm-hmm. but there's somebody that is consistently, like, every few days shooting a, we're tweeting at this time on this day that we want almost human to be saved. It's like, it's, it's, it's going to happen. It's gone, people. It's gone. 
happens. Unless you start the mail-in uh, prosthetic <laughs> leg campaign. Uh, you, you know what? Start the mail-in a prosthetic leg campaign. And I got to ask this, too. Uh, there's no mention of this. So, Anthony, why don't you shoot us an email? Let me know how your prototype is coming. Remember, he, he blamed us for making him uh, have a game idea and actually going as far as creating a prototype. So, how's that going, Anthony? Nobody put it in your hand, buddy. It's all on you. <laughs> You're responsible for your own choices. Speaking of being responsible for your own choices, <laughs> the other email I was going to talk about is Doug over at Meltdown Games. Uh, of course, I talked to him off and on, but he did send an email specifically in, and the top half was to me, but then the bottom half was, lastly, F you guys for introducing me to zombie defense. <laughs> that game is addictive as hell and drains my phone's battery, but I can't stop playing it, you bastards. <laughs> I had to... I had to finish it with my tablet plugged in. I was just going that long. Uh, I haven't played that game in a while, but I do love that game. It's it's definitely, a, it was, you know, obviously I've talked about Star Realms. It's kind of taken over my kind of free time play on my tablet. But every once in a while I see that little zombie. I keep it up in the right up near Star Realms just in case I want to f- switch over. So, yeah, it's definitely a good game. Your zombies are sad. <laughs> zombies are sad. I don't get that wonderful, hey, you've come back. Here's some extra money bonus <laughs> you've played for three days in a row now <laughs> and you know uh we, we talked about it a little bit off but you know other mike had been uh had, had kind of said some things to don on on facebook and was happy to, to hear about some of the recommendations don had given and all that good stuff so that that's kind of that's always cool to, to hear and see and i know don appreciates it i, I definitely appreciate it i don't know if i'm babbling to air here or not and we and, know that feeling. <laughs> yeah. Sure. <laughs> Try getting them to, uh, you know, write in for a contest or give you feedback. Or <laughs> t-shirt finally went. Yes, it did. The t-shirts are gone or they will be. I'm going to try to mail them tomorrow because I got that. And uh, our part of Gen Cant 2014, our prize, um, I finally found out who won our part of it. So I'm going to try to get all our of that prize, in the mail. To we me. had nothing to do with Gen Cant 2014. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty close. <laughs> I'm not I'm not even going to go there. No. no. Release your anger. Speaking of other Mike, of course, uh, I just want to say, you know, we, you know, we're doing episode 50. That's a great milestone for us. They recently hit episode 10, which is a great milestone for them as well. And they're pretty excited about that. So the Royal Monster Battalion has hit episode 10. And in episode 10, they reviewed Troll Hunter, which is an awesome movie. So congrats to those guys. Uh, I know they're pretty excited about it. And the average statistic is that most new podcasts won't will either make it or quit at episode seven. So they're above and beyond that already. They're over that nice hurdle and, and continuing on. And I know uh, you quit Mike now is and enjoy- be ahead of the curve. Yeah. And I know, I know Mike is really enjoying it. And, I, and uh, Jeff is kind of coming into his own over there too. So it's, uh, it's definitely cool to have them as part of the, the network and, and to kind of see them grow. So that's awesome. Storyception games are bringing together the worlds of science fiction literature and tabletop gaming in a way never done before. They are set to release a series of five games, all based in a massive, detailed and evolving science fiction world, the Apocalypse Universe. The first game from this collection is the beautifully illustrated Galactic Arena, a two to six player, fast paced, customizable tactical battle game. One fight lasts 15 minutes, but no two fights are the same. In the Apocalypse universe, heroes fight to entertain the crowds, single combat or team versus team, 
choose your champions, choose their abilities, and choose your destiny. Many fight for glory and riches, but few see the truth behind the galactic arena. I will uh, talk with my discussion topic first, then. Discussion topic. All right. But before I go into my discussion topic, I'll give a little opener. Talk about the summer 2014 season, which, according to the reviews, looks incredible. Just lots and lots of shows getting really good reviews. Uh, one of the most popular ones right now, Tokyo Ghoul, I hear a lot of good things about. Another one that's getting good hype, Terror in Resonance, made by director Shinichiro Watanabe and music director Yoko Kano who collaborated on Cowboy Bebop. They've gotten together again to make another show. Um, some returning shows, getting a lot of buzz, of course. Uh, was talked about Sword Art Online 2, as well as Space Dandies back on Toonami in all its weirdness. And, of course, the big, big news that crushes all other news is the return of Sailor Moon <laughs> with the remake Sailor Moon Crystal. You see Sailor Moon stuff everywhere right now, and Viz Media picking up the entire original series and they're releasing that on Blu-rays. It's all Sailor Moon crazy right now. I saw some questionable Sailor Moon cosplay pics from Gen Con. I mean, I'm all for gender You're bending, gonna, but it's Jordan. Sometimes there's just clothing that com. is not designed to be gender bent. I'm, I'm sorry, people. Jordan at, at allusgeeks.com. <laughs> ah, yes. <laughs> at least shave your beard, dude. Jordan at allusgeeks.com. <laughs> okay. What I'd like to talk about today is. A classic battle. I think we're being ignored. I am totally ignoring you guys. <laughs> we can put your real email in, in the show notes. <laughs> <sighs> now I know Hannibal must have felt during the Second Punic War. What, too soon? <laughs> a little bit. What I'd like to talk about today, a classic battle in the world of anime. Sub versus dub. Uh, if you don't really know what anime is about, you may not have heard or even know what sub versus dub is really about or what it means. It means whether you watch it in the original Japanese language with subtitles or if you watch it dubbed into another language, normally English. Why is this even a fight? Why does anyone even care what anyone else watches? Purists! <laughs> That's a simple answer. But there's a history to this, too. That goes back to the early to mid-90s when anime was first taking off as a niche market. Before that, anime's been around in international markets for a long, long time, way back to Astro Boy and through Volt. Voltron, Robotech, all sorts of things. But the goal of those was always localization. Take the Japanese-ness out of it and pretend it's made somewhere else. Oh, I watched Voltron as a kid. I never knew it was from Japan. That's kind of the point. That's what they're trying to do. But when it came into the early 90s and people were getting this stuff straight from Japan, a market grew up that wanted to see the original version, wanted to see the Japanese stuff. The fact that it was foreign was part of the appeal of it. So the companies that grew up like ADV Films at the time that was trying to market to to that market, wanted to put out stuff that was accurate. Well, at the time, we didn't have DVDs. I know I'm really dating myself here when I talk about VHS, the thing that came before that. It didn't have the niceties like we have today, like multiple audio tracks and the ability to turn subtitles on and off. These companies wanted to do, to both target this niche market, as well as still tr try to sell to the mainstream. 
if you're going to sell to the mainstream, you can't do it with subtitles. It just doesn't work. You have to have it dubbed into another language. But that's not what the niche market wanted. So they split, and they put out two VHS releases for every show, one subtitled, one dubbed. Now, the subtitled people, of course, wanted to avoid dubs, partly because of the old localization thing, and partly because back then, dubs generally pretty much sucked. And it's that was, that was my big. I mean, that was what I was going to point to is the dubs always seemed to suck back in the early days. Yes, and there's very valid reasons for that. It was a very new artist realm, and it's it's really an art to dub these things. And these are people that have never done it before, trying to learn the craft using what now looks like ancient technology. And the whole concept of localization was still very much a part of that too. So it was a very young market, very really trying to learn how to do this. And it took a number of years to really mature. So at first, yeah, they just pulled people in from you know local college and some acting classes, put them in the booth. And yeah, they pretty much sucked. It took quite some time for that to change. But the big thing that, of course, there was a division right away between the people that watch dubs and subs. But there was a lot of animosity there that came up partly because of the pricing scheme. The dubbed versions were cheaper which, of course, had the questions of people that would watch dubs would look at these subtitle people. Why are you paying more money to have to read it? And here's where the snobbery comes in. Well, this is the only true way to watch it. And that's kind of became ingrained in the culture for a long time of this is the true, the right way. How dare you question it? You're not a true fan sort of thing. Uh, it was some time before dubs kind of matured and people started looking at them as like, well, actually, there may be something here. And the advent of DVD really helped with that where we could see both tracks on the same one and look at them, compare, and get both of them when you buy it. Uh, even today, there's a bit of animosity in that ones that have dubs on them are generally a little bit more expensive than the ones that don't have dubs. So people that don't, don't care about dubs are having to pay extra money for something they don't care about. But for the most part, it's you buy them both and you ch- watch whatever one you choose. But it still leaves the open question of which one is the right way or the better way to watch. And that's what I want to talk about. I don't want to try to convince anyone of either way in particular, but I think the discussion oh, itself. I will. Oh, I will convince you. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> but I think the discussion itself can tell us a lot about the translation process and help you decide which one is better and give some understanding of both sides of the argument. Now, the first thing I want to bring up has to do with immersion. And it's something that's well beyond just uh, the question of dubs and is maybe the best argument for dubs. When you're watching a movie and you're, kind of the a goal of most forms of entertainment that's trying to entertain you not like a documentary but a movie that you're there to watch and enjoy it tries to pull you into that world so you kind of forget you're sitting in a chair watching a movie and you're and you're part of that world living it with those characters of course other forms of entertainment try to do that too like books but movies have a definite advantage there and they have sight and sound and all these things it's a very fragile illusion however and that can be broken easily subtitles actually do that and that it puts a sort of pane of glass between the viewer and the screen, a pane of glass that the words are printed on. And that's always there, ever-present, kind of keeping you at arm's length from getting into the show itself. Something else that can break it down, I'm sure many of us have seen like old Godzilla movies or kung fu flicks where they dub over the live-action actors, and it looks ridiculous. You know, the mouse doesn't match what all the words that are coming out. And it always breaks you out of the, the moment because it's very obvious you're not really there. It's You're watching a movie. Well, anime comes in a very unique spot, and it's how it's done. Now, even in Western animation, they do what's called prelay, where they record the voices first and then animate to them. If you watch like a Disney movie, there's a lot of articulation in the mouth as they match it to the voice. 
and Japanese, partly because they don't do prelay and partly just because it's cheaper, they don't articulate the mouth very much. It's mostly just flapping up, up, ba, 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 ba. This has a unique advantage. Well, we as humans can look at that and say, well, it looks like that person's talking and we, we can connect with that. But you can stick another language in there and it still looks natural. It still looks like that character is speaking in that language because it doesn't have that articulation. It doesn't look off. And that's something that dubs can give us is where if, if it's done right and done well, it can make that immersive experience by taking out that plane of glass of the subtitles and not having the problems of the live action, not fitting the mouth movements, but bring you into the show. That's not as easy as it sounds, though, and it's not as accurate as you might think it would. There's some serious difficulties with that. While you can stick pretty much anything into these mouth flap movements, you still have a certain number of mouth flaps you got to match, as well as a certain cadence. You can't, say, stick 10 syllables into three mouth flaps. It just doesn't work. So these people that do this, they're called script writers, uh, script adapters. They take the raw Japanese translation, and they try to fit it into these lip flaps. And it goes beyond just trying to count the number of mouth movements, which they do, count that, figure out the time codes, how long it is, and all that stuff. But they also have to make it sound like conversational English, which is different than just reading raw text. It's It has to sound natural coming out of somebody's mouth. And that's a whole other level of difficulty. And on top of that, not everybody talks the same. English is just crazy mutt language where everyone talks a little bit differently. And you don't want like a stout military guy talking like a valley girl. You got to have people talking it. I'd watch that. <laughs> in some cases, it's, it's, like, it works. Like, me with a spoon, dude. <laughs> like, oh my God, get in line now. <laughs> left, right, left, right. Drop and give me 20. <laughs> Let's rate it. <laughs> in some shows, that works. But normally, if you're trying to be accurate, you have to make it say the same thing as the Japanese, but fit these flaps, sound natural, and sound like something that character would say. This isn't necessarily just difficult. It can be downright impossible at times. So when it comes to these dubs, while these days accuracy is a priority and very important, they still have to take liberties and play around with it and do what they can, and it strays away from the actual like specific things that the Japanese are saying. That's always been a huge argument, but it's still kind of a debatable thing today. That's one of the arguments people that are purists on subtitles are like, well, it's not exactly, it's, that's not what they're saying. We right. Translate it properly. And there's a, well, I'll just talk about it now. When it comes to intention, it actually, there's a lot of question in terms of what is the actual right translation. And that, let's say it's a joke about some Japanese pop star. If you just get a joke about a Japanese pop star, Unless you really, really know your Japanese pop stars, it's not going to be funny to you. It's just going to be words. Now, if they do, say, a joke about Britney Spears in place of it, well, maybe that is funny. The intention of the scene is to make you laugh. So what is the correct thing to do to say exactly what the Japanese did or to make you laugh? And that's actually a point of debate, which is really the intention of that scene. Well, going along the accuracy argument, this is where things swing back to the subtitles. If you want accurate, if you want it to be know what really the Japanese are saying, the subtitle track is the way to go. It has been a long-standing thing in the anime world, and it's, it's going to be this way forever, that the subtitle text is very close to the raw translation. They don't futz it up like they do with the dubs and try to localize it, but they give you mostly the raw. Now, they do a little bit. They have to you know, cut it back so it's a readable number of words on the screen. But that's what you're, you're going to go if you want the actual, like, truly like the Japanese version is. 
Subtitles also work better for certain things like scientific terms, numbers, that sort of thing. It's actually easier to process when for reading subtitles versus hearing them. But there is something that even the best text can never translate. And this is where things swing back to the dubs again. And that's subtext. There's a lot that's said with words. Yeah, just throwing brackets around uh, around some text to to do the voiceover of you know or 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 you know thought or then what you're supposed to be getting at doesn't always work. It doesn't. Throwing a smiley on there, you know, <laughs> you know, we all know that for e- email, right? When things get misunderstood, like oh, I meant that a different way. There's so much said in our voices that isn't in the actual words, and that's a huge amount of subtext that does not ever come across in the text. Now, people. Will say no. I can hear the Japanese, so I know what what he sound. I know his subtext. Well, that's not true. The Japanese language and English, or the Japanese culture and the American culture, are so wildly different that if you think you know what you're hearing, you probably are wrong. You can't go by what you think you understand of it because the, unless you really, really know the Japanese language, no, that's not good enough. Actually, unless you have grown up in that culture, in that language, you cannot get all the subtext. You just can't understand it. That's something that dubs can do. They can take that subtext from the original and put it into the dubbed version, put in that that subtleness in the language and in the in the performances. Now, the English performances aren't a carbon copy of the Japanese ones, nor should they be. It's done by a different person. It should honor the original, but it should be its own performance. But they can capture this a lot of the subtext and a lot of the, uh, dubs, good dubs focus on that and try to bring that out, which is, again, something that subtitles cannot do. For a very simple example, that's not really subtext, but it'll get the point across anyway, is dialects, accents. Now, Japan, even though it's a small island nation, really does have a bunch of different dialects. And in these anime series, people show up with very strong, often obnoxious accents that we English speakers cannot hear. We just don't, we don't catch that at all. And you'll never see that in the subtitles. Well, I've seen sub- subtitles try to do that. They'll stick in the y'alls and stuff like that. But it just comes off as weird. What's wrong with y'all? There's nothing wrong with it's y'all. Even a south <laughs> in Japan. <laughs> there actually kind of is. The uh, Osaka Ben, the, um, the di- Kansai dialect, is fairly similar to how we Americans look at like West Texan accent. Very similar in, in like concept and mindset. So in dubs, you'll sometimes see characters suddenly speak with a southern accent. And people rail on about that, how ridiculous it is and how terrible it sounds and stuff like that. When actually the Japanese one had a terrible sounding accent that was kind of like it. You're getting a, a whole thing that you didn't catch in this subtitled version because you couldn't hear it. So there's are sides to both sides. Uh, there's things about dubs that are really good and things that you can never get in the subtitles. And there's things in the subtitles you can't get out of a dub. What should you watch? Well, it depends on the show. It depends on the quality of the dub, stuff like that. For me... I can understand both sides, and I watch both sides. As for you, well, make up your own mind. What the hell? <laughs> oh, man, this was supposed to be definitive. This was, yeah, this was... Give them an order. Don's order of the day. <laughs> you listen! <laughs> I used to be all subtitles back in the day, because, mm-hmm. again, it was... The dubs were so bad. Yeah, yeah. It was unbearable, so I would always seek out the subtitles. Now I kind of do... I've kind of flipped when I do watch it because it is that, you know, if I'm going to watch something, not even anime, if I'm going to watch something subtitled, 
I've got to be in the right mood. I've got to want to have the, I got to be full attention on that because, you know, you're going to miss something if you're not like looking up and, and focusing on mm-hmm, the TV mm-hmm. and that whole pull you out thing. I mean, that happens to me every once in a while. It's like, instead of watching 100% about what's going on in the screen, I'm reading the lower bottom of the screen kind of thing. So I, and I, your eyes are always distracted. Yeah. Which when it comes to beautiful animation, kind of sucks actually. Right. So I, you know, somewhere along the line, I, I had made that switch too. And then of course, somewhere along the line, I stopped watching most anime. So, <laughs> And I've heard that from a bunch of people, but there's still a lot of purists out there, particularly subtitle purists that refuse to watch dubs. Hipsters. <laughs> Canadians. <laughs> Game review <laughs> by unprepared all us geeks. That's pretty much every episode. Always so classy in here. All right, so we're gonna take a look at Dead of Winter from Plaid Hat Games. Jordan taught this one, so go. Dead of Winter from Plaid Hat Games is their first game in their Crossroads series. Dun, dun, dun. It's a zombie survival game set in a small town in the dead of winter. You will take on one of any number of roles of survivors uh, in the colony, and there are six uh, city tiles or town tiles. I got the impression it's definitely a small town, not a, mm-hmm. not a city. <laughs> and you are trying to... I don't know. I mean, it takes you forever to get to one tile to another Apparently you can die of frostbite. yeah you can die of frostbite so it's <laughs> if it's a small town it's pretty spread out it's like a uh it, it's like living in the country where your next door neighbor is like Two miles, miles down the road yeah. leaving the farm to go to the feed store <laughs> i'll be back tomorrow <laughs> yes so you'll take on one of any number of roles or two technically of any number of roles mm-hmm. uh, to start uh, with yeah. uh, of characters to start and you're going to have a different goal each game there's a lot of replayability here. There's quite a few goals. And you're going to survive by uh, either staying at the colony or exploring uh, the various town locations to to get supplies you need. It is kind of a collection game to a certain mm-hmm. extent because yep. you are collecting to meet your main objective uh, sometimes and almost always to meet your secondary objective and to defeat the crisis and basic survival. It's a fairly cardboard heavy game with tokens for pretty much everything for your zombies for your players for barricades and for all the all the cards are some good quality cardboard so the purpose here is to survive the main objective there's a series of objectives that come with the game things like get enough food get more resources survive x number of rounds stuff like that what was ours do get samples that's yeah we we had to get samples yeah Yeah. get samples from the zombies so in the case of the the four-player game we had to get X number of sample tokens I was like three per player, right? Because we needed 12. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. Yep. So I think it was three per player. And you got the samples by killing a zombie and making a successful die roll. So there's a variety of uh, objectives. And for added replayability and masochism, there's a regular version. And on the flip side of the card is the hardcore version, which reduces your round tracker or adds more requirements or uh, adds more zombies to initially spawn, stuff like that. Once you have your uh, objective selected, it'll give you your basic setup. Start with these zombies here or X number of zombies at the compound or X number of helpless survivors, X number mm-hmm. of Angelos at the, at the compound, stuff like that. Then you select your characters. Each player gets four, keeps two. Each character has 
some information on their card. They'll have their name and uh, what they were in the old world. Uh, they'll have their influence, which is a number that indicates, well, their influence. The player with the card with the highest influence will be first player. Mm-hmm. And then survival or death generally hinges on highest or lowest influence at a given area when something bad happens. And then they've got an attack skill and a search skill. Well, the game is totally D6 driven. Except for the damage die, but anyways, the game is D6 driven. So your search or your damage skill or your attack value is going to be something, you know, two up, five up, whatever. And all your skills. Oh, also down at the bottom of the card is any game text that is, they have an effect abilities that they can do at a specific location or a special ability that re- require a die roll, stuff like that. Yeah. So like my, I think it was my leader. I could build. Once per turn, uh, barricade for free. Right. Little things like that. So each player gets a uh, a player reference sheet, and it gives you a pretty good layout of everything that you can do and then everything that the AI will do to punish you (laughs) (laughs) on its turn. And each player starts out with three dice, one for themselves and one for each follower they have. If they lose a follower, they will lose a die. If they gain followers, they will gain dice. But this dice pool is for use across... All their followers. It's not three dice per follower. It's three dice for all the actions you're going to take that cause you to spend a die. And this, I think, is actually kind of a cool mechanic, breaking up your your actions between dice and not needing dice. So there are a variety of actions that you can take that uh, require a die, and that's things like attacking and searching, and your requirement is, is on your card. And then there's making a barricade, cleaning waste, or trying to move zombies around. You can make noise to attract them. So at the start of the player turn, everybody rolls their dice, and that's their set numbers for the for the round, unless you have something that will manipulate the dice. So if you roll a 1, 2, and a 6... Uh, you need something that you can do on a one up, a two up and a six up. Uh, and that stuff is either on the card, on the location or on your equipment. If you have a card that'll let you do equipment, stuff like that. So the dice rolling is pretty straightforward. You roll them once and that's what you have to work with. Uh, sometimes that limits your, your actions because there's only a few things you can do at one. Uh, but sometimes it gives you a good variety of actions if your skills are all, uh, low numbers to succeed. So after you've selected your character and you've got your objective, The game itself starts and there's a crisis at the start of every round. And the crises are sometimes simple things like needing extra food, extra medicine, extra tools. Sometimes they're a little bit more fiddly, but they generally hinge on non-exiled players. And exile is a, a game term that can come into effect later. But every player that still has people at the colony or, yeah, at the colony are considered non-exiled. So I'll say... You need two medicine for every non-exiled player. So on top of the food you need to survive that round, you also have to get this extra stuff. You can complete it. If you got four players and you need two medicine, you get per player, you get your eight medicine. Everybody's happy. Nobody dies of dysentery that turn. Yay. <laughs> Most of those type of crises also have the bonus of if you exceed it by two, you get some morale back. Morale is important because that is one way of losing the game. If at any point your morale gets to zero, well, everybody just gives up and they walk out into the open. <laughs> Just <laughs> and uh, but then there's the penalty. If you fail the crisis, bad things will happen. Generally, losing morale. One time we got overrun by like twelve zombies. Yep. 
Yep. So, and sometimes it's a combination of things, uh, loss of morale and a few zombies, a few zombies and, you know, throw somebody out to the, to the zombies, you know, stuff like that. So it's important to, in general, you want to complete the crises successfully. Sometimes you can, you can be a little bit mathy and look at what you've got to give in terms of people or morale or whatnot and say, no, no, we're just going to give this one up because we're not going to make it. And it's a viable strategy. And then whatever, whatever else your crisis is doing, you still have to get enough food each round for all your active survivors and helpless survivors. And there's a difference here. Your active survivors are what you're playing, what the characters are playing. And the helpless survivors are just pogs that hang around the colony and do nothing except take up your food and medicine. They count towards anything you have to do in terms of goal, but they don't actually do anything for you. So the first player knife, the first player token is a nice knife and it goes around in the, uh, uh, clockwise. And as you go through the round actions, um, you know, it goes uh, clockwise. So the first player changes every round. And I think this is a good way of kind of defeating the, the alpha player who will sometimes in these co-op games kind of step up and try to direct everybody to shank them. Yeah, that's right. Cardboard knife. That's, the that's the, we're using prison rules in our co-op. That's right. So that passes clockwise and each round there's a new crisis. And for each player, there's also the crossroads. Now, this was the mechanic that most interested me when I was reading about this game. It's Plat Hat's attempt to add uh, a cinematic feel to the game. So at the start of each player's turn, the player to their right takes one of these crossroads cards. And it's got some italicized text on top that you don't that they're not supposed to read aloud. But it gives you the condition that needs to be met for this to kick in. Is a player traveling to the library? If yes, then read this. And it gives you... But I think for the most part, either for that player only or for the party as a group, uh, what's supposed to be a moral choice, but really it's just worked out to be a funny choice in most cases. <laughs> I think that says more about us than the game. So if you're traveling to the school, you find a student locked in the cafeteria, uh, you go to rescue him and then the zombie swarms come by and he's screaming in terror. Do you A, lock the door behind the zombie swarm, grab the food and leave? Or B, help the student. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, we need the food more than the students. So. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'll, I'll get into my thoughts on that later. So it, it's an interesting an attempt to add a cinematic narrative to, to the game. I'm not sure. But anyway, so then each location, because you do a lot of exploring, you have to do a lot of exploring to get mm-hmm. your resources every turn, has a different mix of what you're going to find there. And the mix changes both in order of rarity and, in, well, I guess in order of rarity at each location. Police stations, you're much more likely to find guns. The library, you're much more likely to find books. And each location gives you an icon for the for the rarity of that. The the icon to the left is the most likely at that location. The icon to the right is the least likely. And then each location has a different number of spots for survivors. Some places you can have four survivors, some just two, some three. And then also a different number of spots for zombies. And then it'll have its uh, search deck. And you're really driven to, to search because the colony itself has nothing. Each, each player starts with a starting deck of basic items, which will generally get you through one round, maybe two if you get a good distribution in your starting hand or starting draws. But, uh, generally you are forcing your people out there to go searching. Yeah. And- there's, there's really no way to, to not. I mean, you're not going to just hang out no. at HQ and, and be like, yeah, well, we'll, we'll wait this one out. Yeah. You're going to need one or two people there to, you know, control the zombies that, that show up there. But for the most part, you're, you're forced to go out and explore. Yeah. And that's where the dead of winter aspect of it comes in, 
no matter what you do, or almost no matter what you do, every time you do something outside, uh, you've got to roll the D12 exposure dice, die. There's only one of them. So if you travel without gas from one location to another, you're exposed. If you fight a zombie, you're risking exposure and damage. If uh, you meet an event that might require you to do things, uh, might require you to do extra rolls. If you tra- if you left the colony, you run into a zombie, so then you take your exposure roll and your zombie roll, stuff like that. So on the exposure die, there's uh, some blank faces. If that comes up, nothing bad happens. Yay. There's also a basic wound. You take a wound, you can take up to three wounds, and then you die. Then there's the frostbite wound, which if you get frostbite, then you take a wound every turn until you're healed or until you die. And then there's the tooth. If you're bitten by the zombie, stupid tooth, (laughs) you die. There's no question about it. But being a zombie, of course, it can spread. Uh, So if you die in a location with other players, you then have to make the choice. Are you going to put that player down to stop the spread? Or are you going to roll lucky and maybe stop the spread just by being especially healthy? If you fail that roll and get bit again or get a new bite, you die. And then the disease spreads. So it's an interesting way of doing the growth of the zombie plague, but it's only interesting when you have more than one player at a location. So we didn't run into that all that often. Still waiting. I'll I'll, I'll talk about my judgments later. Yeah. Yeah. So play continues. You've got your dice to spend for all your actions. Things like adding barricades kind of prevent zombies from spawning. Every round, zombies spawn. They spawn at a location outside of the colony where there is a player. So if there is no player at the grocery store, no zombie spawn there. But if there's a player at the police station, a zombie will spawn there for each player at the police station. At the colony, there's six spawn areas with three squares each, and they will spawn one in each square. So if you get six zombies, you'll get one in section one, two, three, four, five, six. If you get a seventh zombie, then it goes back to section one. So there's three three uh, spawn sections in in the colony sections, and varying number of spawn sections in the in the town sections. If at any point a spawn area is full, that area is overrun. The person there with the lowest influence dies just outright they've been eaten you can and sometimes that's not necessarily a bad thing at the colony that's uh, saving you a mouth to feed let's let's be <laughs> honest in in the in the fight for survival <laughs> you can prevent that by clearing out the zones every turn a little bit at the colony and then you can build a barricade you can put a barricade on one of the spawns areas and when it would come time for a zombie to spawn there it breaks the barricade but it doesn't come through so you don't actually spawn the zombie you just take away the barricade so next turn if you haven't barricaded again then a zombie can spawn there it is a pretty straightforward game. The mechanics do not change from turn to turn. So once you've had kind of one round to get through and see everything and how it works, how you need to gather your resources, deal with the crises, deal with any crossroads that come up that are applicable. And sadly, that appears to be fairly rare. It's fairly easy to get a, get the hang of. There's not a lot of uh, AP here because you're only limited to three actions. Assuming you keep mm-hmm. two players. Yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't seem like it's, I don't know. I, I mean, you got to play it a couple more times than I did. It doesn't seem like there's a, like, you're not going to suddenly get a huge growth of followers following you in the, in the game. Well, you got the wrong events then because 
at the library at the school and I believe at the grocery store. No, not the grocery store. There's another one where I ran into a lot of events that would uh, give you the option of adding people to your followers. I never got an A event. I I never. (laughs) Let alone the wrong ones. I never chose to do that because in the scenarios that I've played, well, just in general, it seems like adding more players and the requirement to feed them if they're at the at the colony is more of a detriment. Admittedly, you don't have to feed people if they're out at the out at the locations. locations. So it's not as big a penalty and it gives you more things to do, but searching still requires a die. So for each person you get, you get one die action. I haven't quite decided, like I said, whether the mouth to feed if they're at the, because there's generally a lot of movement back and forth. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the mouth to feed, if you get too many people at the colony, whether it's worth having the extra die. I want to play it a few more times to see if I can come to a decision on that. But yeah, there are ways beyond the, the crossroads right. stuff. Like I said, I never to saw, get people. saw events. So apparently, of course, I was dying all the damn time. So well, I wasn't yeah, searching a whole lot. Worst ninja ever. <laughs> no, I wasn't the ninja. That was Megan. Oh, that was Megan. Yeah. <laughs> The, the most efficient ninja ever that just killed everything to the point of no samples. <laughs> <laughs> so the round summary is you reveal the crisis and that's what you've got to resolve or choose not to resolve that turn. Then you roll your action dice. Everybody rolls their dice for the at the same time. And that is your set pool for the turn. Uh, then you can do everything. And there is some stuff that uh, requires dice. Like I said, attacking, searching, putting up barricades, cleaning waste. Waste is very important because this is another way to lose morale. Uh, nobody wants to live like a pig. So if the colony waste, well, nobody wants to live like a really big pig. Uh, if the colony waste gets to 10 or more cards, you lose a morale. So you got to be cleaning waste at least every other turn, sometimes every turn. If people have been very wasteful, wasteful. <laughs> yes. Giving the looking colony. for that word, huh? Well, it's, but you see, cause it's the opposite. You got to spend the card to give the colony food. Yeah. So you generate waste by giving the colony food or, uh, healing somebody. So it's not wasteful. It's productive, but you just end up with this pile of spam cans and band-aid wrappers, apparently. And nobody wants <laughs> spam cans and band-aid wrappers where they're sleeping. And then there's some stuff that doesn't require a die. This is playing a card, you know, for any reason, adding to, you know, the food supply for survival that round or, you know, committing to the, the, the crisis or playing an event or playing, you know, equipping a card, something like that, that you found. So that's playing a card, adding a card to the crisis, moving a survivor. The move is free. Doesn't cost you a die, but you might die. So it's, well, like, it you it's a not die, really right? free. <laughs> If it cost you your life, <laughs> what, three times? <laughs> or more, yeah. <laughs> and then there's a request on your turn. You can ask for any items that you think you're going to need to do something. If you somebody gives you an item, you have to use it that turn. You have to use it immediately. You can't stockpile. And then there's handing off. If you're at the location with somebody else, you can give them a card. And then there's voting to exile. Which is, I think, a cool mechanic. And I think this is the best way to stop the alpha gamer from running everything. Because everybody has the primary objective that they have to do to win. But then the extra special winners are the people that complete their secret objectives. So everybody gets a secret objective at the start of the game. This might be a positive objective, or it might be one of the cool special cards that say betrayal (laughs) on the bottom, where you are, in fact, working to dick over the rest of the players. So you've got these little things to, that you gotta, you've gotta complete to be the super special winner. And in one case, I had to build a zombie killing robot. So I needed two tools and a gun. So if people know that I have tools, 
but I'm not contributing them to, say, the tool crisis, they might rightfully think I'm a dick. So then comes the vote to exile. You say, hey, I think Jeff has a betrayal or <laughs> Jeff's a dick. Yeah. <laughs> That, that's more likely to come out of your mouth, yes. So I vote to exile him, and if everybody, if enough, if it's a positive vote, he ex, he is exiled. It's he is, not going to be a positive vote. Everybody loves me. Everybody <laughs> knows I'm cuddly. He a is cuddly not. dick. <laughs> I used to dance under that name for college money. <laughs> and now, welcome to the stage, cuddly dick. <laughs> And the image is burned in my mind. <laughs> so if you vote to exile somebody, they're not removed from the game. They're just removed from the colony. So they can't vote in anything that is a colony vote. But they also, since they're no longer at the colony, count towards colony food supply. They can still interact with the players. They can still do things. But then there's a check. Were you the betrayer? If yes, announce you were the betrayer and your secondary objective changes a bit. If you were not, announce that you were not, flip everybody the bird, and your secondary objective changes. So there are valid reasons. You are now. (laughs) There are valid reasons to do that. A, you think they're the betrayer. B, you know you're not going to have enough food, so you'll want to kick somebody out. C, somebody's pissed you off. You know, I'll admit it. I'm that petty. You piss me off, I'll try to vote you off the island. My God. You know what? Dead a winner. You, Bob. Gonna get all you petty people together in one game. Just watch you all just like rip each other's heads. I, I want to watch it. I don't want to play it. I want to watch it. <laughs> it's just a race to see who can get exiled like, last. You know, okay, it's just, down to two players, and I'm first, so I break the tie. I've seen Bob screw somebody over in a game because they took the wrong piece of pizza off to the side. <laughs> so <laughs> I saw Bob get. Throw down real hard in the game of Red Dragon in with Justin. I mean, that was it. That was because yeah. of the pizza. It had nothing to do with the game. I know. It was, it was like, wow. I mean, that escalated hard. <laughs> <laughs> so, man, pizza, it will tear you up. So once all your player turns are done, uh, then you go to the AI phase, the colony phase. So the first thing you do is you pay your food. You need uh, one food for every other person. If you don't have enough food at the, at the colony, at the headquarters, at the headquarters, yeah. yes. If you don't have enough food, you don't eat the food. <laughs> just look at it. You just look at it, and you put an everybody empty can starves. in the food supply. <laughs> everybody starves, and you lose one morale for each starvation token. So the first time you do it, it's like, oh my belly, look at that empty can of spam. The second time you do it, it's like, holy crap, we're <laughs> just we should eat ourselves. <laughs> and then you check waste. You got to make sure you're under 10. If not, you lose the morale. Then there is resolve the crisis, hopefully successfully. We ran into one occasion where there was no negative impact because we didn't have anybody at the locations where the zombies would spawn. We just gave up that location. Yeah, it would have actually screwed us over more to complete it. Yeah. And that was when you were were talking earlier about you can be a little mathy about certain things. It was like, this is going to hurt us more if we do it. Yep. Let it pass. And then there's add zombies. So like I said, uh, there's going to be a zombie at every, a zombie for every two people at the colony and it'll go in order of their spawn, spawn spots. And then a one, uh, a zombie for every person at an exterior location. Just a small backup. Yep. So for the resolve crisis thing, we should mention, cause you did mention the betrayer. When you contribute to the crisis, you do it face down. Yes. Because you can dick over the crisis. Yeah. So if you need, uh, four food, 
and uh, maybe you've got six in there now because you think you're you're going to get that morale boost back. But uh, there's a betrayer in there, and he throws in two medicine or two junk because well, you would keep your medicine. So you've got your four food and two junk. The two junk cancels out to the food, so you're actually down to four two food, and you failed the objective. Mm-hmm. So it's got yeah that little bit of that kind of bsg thing which i i love that's i think bsg did a really good job of the trader mechanic so i think adding that as part of this trader mechanic is a nice thing Mm -hmm. and then you check your main objective did you complete it before round zero if that was a completion object a completion condition then you win do you have your 12 food if you need to stockpile food yeah do you have all your samples yeah okay if not you continue to the next round and then you pass the first player knife so each round is pretty much the same. The variation is where you're going to go to search, what you're going to find, and whether you're too stupid to wear a parker when you go outside. <laughs> and what your dice rolls are. Because well, that's, that's going to affect you because you're... Things like the barricade and stuff like that, are, that you can use any die, but your searches and your attacks are by your skill sets. So, well, yeah, your search and your attack is going to be on your card. So if you're, if you're an attack at plus four and all three of your dice don't come up higher than three, you're not going to be able to attack. Right. But a barricades at a one or better, a lot of the actions on your cards are a one or better. So in many cases, and I should say in some cases, some of them are just spend a die. It doesn't matter what, like cleaning waste. It doesn't matter what the number is. You're just losing the die. So there's no totally dead die. As long as you have your followers kind of spread out to be useful, but they are limiting, definitely. Mm-hmm. If, if you don't roll it high enough to do your two actions, then you're just sitting at the library reading two years ago Time magazine. <laughs> and it continues around that way until you either defeat the scenario or are defeated by the scenario. It's very much like, you know, Gears of War that way. The AI does its own thing and you live and die as much by the AI as, as you do by the, your success as a group working together. All right. So components overall, I think uh, the components are pretty good. Like Jordan said early on, it's very cardboard heavy. They didn't go the plaid hat miniature route on this one. They actually went with cardboard, cardboard stand-ups and I could almost see them possibly in the future if they wanted to doing a miniature add-on if, if they want, cause uh, I, I think this game has done pretty well for them so far. Cards are, are standard cards. The, the main board where like the headquarters and stuff is pretty standard card. I mean, nothing here is inferior. I don't no, think. No, not at all. Uh, you get a bunch of zombie stand-ins. And then if you go above and beyond what they give you, they give you zombie tokens to kind of flesh that out, which I mean, that's fine. And we actually didn't hit that. You kind of don't want a lot of zombie standees. I don't want to know how bad a position. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. You don't want to get to the point where you're, where you're counting off tokens because you've got a bigger problem at that (laughs) point. You failed this objective. Spawn 30 zombies. So yeah, I think everything uh, that's included in this, I dug the artwork. I didn't think the artwork was bad. Uh, The characters were pretty cool. Um, The artwork there was pretty decent. So overall, I'm happy with the components. What do you think? For the most part, yes. I myself am not keen on the standees. I understand it was probably a good cost saving and it's a good way to separate them from uh, visually from the big two of Zombie Side and Last Night on Earth. 
both of which are have their own minis. Um, so the standees is a way to separate themselves in terms of, you know, the visual componentry, but also to add some, some pretty vibrant color. The characters standees are all very unique looking and have very vibrant color schemes, which then clash with the locations and the, mm. and the colony board, which are all gray and muted and, and really washed out because you're trying to survive in the middle of a snowstorm. So overall, the components, I think is uh, pretty good. Yeah. yeah. Except the standees. And they also went with multiple zombie standees. They didn't just do all one type of zombie. Yeah. So that's kind of cool, too. Have you played this one, Don? I have not. Okay. Wasn't sure if you got it in at uh, Gen Con or not. Did you go to Gen Con? No, I did not. Did? Okay. Well, welcome to oh, the Oh, twist it, dude. Just twist it. Welcome to Gen Cant 2014. <laughs> so, mechanics. What did you think of the various mechanics for this one? First time I played it, I thought it was a little bit fiddly and I was referring to the book a little bit just to make sure I was understanding everything. And even then when I got here to teaching it to you, I still had to refer to the book a couple times. But once you've got, you know, half a game under you, everything becomes sufficiently cyclical that it flows smoothly. All the checks and tests are kind of take care of themselves. And if you need to refer to anything, it's all right there on your player card. So I think after, you know, a half a game or so, even just one round, uh, the mechanics gel well and, uh, and they're pretty solid. They're smooth. They're easy. There's not enough dice to give you a real AP feeling. You're driven to do things. So that removes some of the AP. You have to go out there and do things. So you, you know, you're going to go searching. It's just how you choose to do it. And that's determined more by your dice than necessarily your desire to move somebody. So mechanically, I think it's pretty sound. It, it, it all works well together. I think I'm middle of the road. I think overall on this. And I think it's kind of. You know, I'm always kind of 50-50 sometimes on plat hat stuff. I did like the kind of dice as sort of action points. It's bittersweet because I'm working on a game that does something like that. Not quite the way they did it, though. So that's nice to know that nobody's going to necessarily come out and say, I bit this because we were working on it way before this came out. That um, doesn't matter. I know it doesn't. <laughs> uh, but I did, I did like that. I think that was pretty cool. But there were times like having somebody out in the middle of nowhere and having to search if they've got a crap roll, can't search. That kind of sucks. I think one of my big things is, I mean, Plat Hat likes to use dice a lot, but they don't always give you decent ways to mitigate some of the dice, I think. I mean, in this one, you could, like you said, it, you have to be spread out. Um, if you got somebody back at the compound, sure, you can get rid of some waste or something. But like, what if you don't need to get rid of waste? So, I mean, what if it's not that, that's not the urgent thing that the, the group needs right now? The other thing, I just, we gave it shit the entire time we were playing it about the well, I guess, uh, you know, I'm going to, uh, you know, stab the zombie through the window and get frostbite. You know, and well, that's that you know, part I was of it. Talk about that in my overall, but you've heard me say it before, Plat Hat has what I call in many of their games, kind of a punishment mechanic. Mm -hmm. Even though you're doing everything reasonably successful, they're still going to stick a needle in you. And uh, except Mice and Mystics, Mice and Mystics is right. really yeah. not that way at all. Mm -hmm. But in this case, like you say, if you, if I'm in the building in my nice heated building and I'm sticking a, a rake through a zombie's head, why am I going to risk frostbite? If I'm exploring the library then I should be in the library exploring. Yes, I'm going to risk frostbite maybe getting there. But again, why am I not wearing a parka? I know it's the winter. So there's that kind of mechanic that it just seems to add a needless little knife to the ribs that they could have implemented somewhat differently, I think. I think a lot of that should have been tied directly into the the the, the cards. Yeah. Um, where 
you know, that's where, you know, your crossroads card, Hey, you're exploring or something. Every once in a while, one comes up where you got lost in the blizzard. Now you might get frostbite or something like that versus every time you go to a new location, you either were bit or frostbite or took damage or something. I mean, yeah, there's some blanks, but it goes back to that. There's just not a whole lot of mitigation. Okay. Character ability. Sure. Like, uh, well, sure. Some people, Sarah, Sarah, yeah. Sarah had a character that did not, that could move without worrying about the exposure. Dying yeah. There's like guns. That. You can get equipment that prevents the, the, the exposure roll and you know, you can get books that do that. And if you have fuel, you can have a car for one round that'll take you. So you don't do that, but it's, it just seems far too random to me for that to happen. If you don't find fuel for five rounds, you're just walking around or you're stuck at that one area you're searching because you don't want to, if you got one wound on you, you don't want to risk getting another one. And maybe that is your move. That's going to trigger your crossword cards where you now have to take three rolls instead of just one. Mm -hmm. So I agree. They're, probably could have been a way to do it better but this is to my mind very much in the way plaid hat kind of does their negatives that impact the player yeah. i do like the idea of the crossroad cards uh but kind of like what you alluded to i think it could have been also done just a little bit different i think and i think one of the things i kind of would have preferred and this isn't the first game that's kind of done this there's other games that that do it so i would have liked to have seen the change here maybe but Give me the choices without knowing what the options are. I mean, you without get a, the consequences, right? You, yeah. you get a few plays in, you're going to kind of know them anyway, but at least, especially on those fresh games, don't tell me, are you going to take the food and lock the door and, and leave the, the guy with the zombies if you do take three food, you know, that, or are you going to rescue him, put another helpless person in the compound? Don't tell me that stuff. Mm -hmm. Give me my two options. Am I going to save him or am I going to steal the food? And then, then give me the consequences. Then tell me what my consequence was for what I chose. And that can easily be done because the, uh, you're not the one reading the card. Yeah. So, I mean, it can all be right in front of the person reading the card for you. They just don't read, you know, that's the bottom half. Yeah. Okay, well, it's already this. laid out. Yeah. Don't read the italics out loud. Yeah. So the issue that I had with the card, well, it's not an issue. It's, well, I guess technically an issue. It's a big deck. So yay. Yeah. Lots of variety and lots of uh, ability to replay. And there's a lot of players, uh, a lot of player tokens, I should say. Mm -hmm. But even at max players, to start, you're only going to have 10 characters out there. Quite often, even when we remembered, because it does go by, you'll still pick up the card. If it doesn't proc right there, you hold it for the remainder of the turn because it could proc at any moment. Mm -hmm. As soon as an action happens that procs it, you, you, reveal the, you read the card. Okay, fair enough. Quite a few times we looked... And okay, so this is on us, but there shouldn't necessarily be a mechanic in the game that the players can forget. Uh, we looked at the card right at the start of the turn, didn't proc, put it down and waited and then forgot about it. And then also we ran into quite a few cards that just were not relevant at all. Those characters right. weren't on the board. There were nobody at those locations and we knew there was going to be nobody at those locations because of what we had to do that turn. Just too many times the cards came up that were just not relevant at all. So we held them for the turn and then slipped them back under. So 
I would have liked to have seen either a smaller deck to make things happen more often or more cards that were more generic. Less character specific. Yeah. Yeah, Cause it, it, a lot of them, I mean, and you get the, okay, is whoever, is this person on the board? No. All right. You know, kind yeah. of thing. And there was a lot of that throughout the game. Yeah. So I, I, I agree. Conceptually, there. I think it's a great idea. I think it's a I love great the idea. way to add a, a cinematic feel to the game. But at this point, it's, it just seems too dilute. All right. So rules. And of course, we're a bunch of oh. black hearted bastards. So oh. <laughs> we always took the one that was only going to benefit us and yeah. left people to die all the time. It's like, wait a minute. What are, what are our options? What happens? Oh, no, no, no. We no. get food or we get another mouth to feed? No, 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 no. no. On your way. On your way, group. On your way. <laughs> Yeah, we find you a week later and you're dead. That's fine. But okay. We're good with that. We'll sleep well. <laughs> uh, so rules. What did you think? Cause I actually, you, you went through the rules. I kind of just learned from you. It was kind of a, a grind to read. Not that it's poorly explained or anything like that. There's good visuals and good, uh, sidebars where needed and it's all laid out well and it goes through, but it is, well, take away the starting stuff. It is uh, 15 pages when you include the variant rules. And to just sit down after work and try to go through 15 pages for me, it's not always, that's not always <laughs> going to happen. I will get to three pages and go, no, I've really thought too much today. I'm just going to put this down. <laughs> so it took me a couple tries to get through the book, not because it's difficult, just because I did not have the mental acuity on those two days to, to sit down and do 15 pages. But uh, once I, I, I sat down and read through the rule book, I think it's pretty straightforward and it explains everything. After I read the book, I went and watched a video and the video didn't add anything that I hadn't already twigged on so i think it's a, a very good rule book to get you into the game very quickly and then for teachability so jordan played it before coming over here to get used to it as well and then came over and taught it to myself and megan and sarah sarah was with well but sarah's who you you played two player mm-hmm. right to get used to it and then you came over and we played some four player i thought that went well i thought you were able to teach it really easy and it's one of those things i've talked about it before that's really nice about the co-op side of things I think co-ops lend themselves really well to being teachable because other than the fact that we did have, you know, our secret stuff, which, you know, that didn't come into play as far as massive questions or anything. Everything else was shared experience and open talk and, and stuff like that. So every time a question did come up, it was easy to kind of say, hey, it, what's going on with this or what is the crisis doing for us right now or that kind of thing. So everybody was felt free to, to talk about everything. And I think it was an open and safe space. (laughs) I think we all picked up on everything really well. I don't really remember any major hiccups. I don't remember, you know, like Megan for her first play really kind of going, uh, wait a minute, what are we doing again? I think one time through and, Again, it all being open and everybody doing kind of the same-ish kind of stuff. Okay, everybody roll your dice now. Okay, those are your action dice for now and that kind of thing. I, I think it taught very well. Did you uh You guys any- didn't have any questions, <laughs> that many questions, so, so I assume I did a good job at it. <laughs> all right, so theme. You know, now we ta- you talked about you were working on this <laughs> dice game before this came out. This came out after Last of Us. Mm-hmm. And okay, if you have don't have a PS3, you never played it. But the big set piece at the end of the game, one of the big moments is in a snowstorm in a small town. Now, maybe this is inspiration or maybe it is derivative, but it's a zombie game. So 
you know, we got a lot of those. I like them. It's a zombie game in a snowstorm, which is a little different than Last of Us. They were plant people and they weren't even there in the snowstorm. But thematically, I like the zombie game and, uh, I like the concept that it's, it's in the winter because we get a lot of stuff, you know, it's like last night on earth. It's just a generic town out in the woods. Weather isn't really an issue. Zombie side, same thing. It's, there's no weather, you know, scenario. Mm. There's no environment like that. So being in the snowstorm, it adds something to it, but not as much for me as I'm sure they were hoping. Thematically, I enjoy it. It's a zombie game. Yeah. Uh, overall, I, I mean, everybody knows I'm a big zombie. <laughs> fan fan uh and and own many zombie games that's i'm converting the top shelf there and eventually mr leader i am going to take a picture of that so you can throw up a little in your mouth (laughs) since he's such a lover of zombie games i like zombie games i collect zombie games i i like most of them for different reasons i did enjoy the theme on this one i do agree with you the whole winter aspect Uh, i think going back to the the mitigation else i think it was a little too harsh but I liked where it was going. I liked a lot of the ideas in this. I liked the crossroads idea. Just would have liked to have seen them come up a little more. And like I said, just give me the choices, not what, what the consequences are. And a little less of the always risking frostbite and, and stuff like that. That said though, I mean, I, yeah, it's, there's a lot of things I, they did a good job and they put a lot of fluff in this. Mm-hmm to give you the thematic experience if you're willing to get into it. So I think they did a great job there. So I, I enjoy it for that reason. Mm-hmm. So fun factor slash overall. The first two and a half pages on BGG right now are tens. <laughs> and I don't get that. There are a lot of people there that are early play tester, 10. <laughs> well, damn, if you liked it before the final, are you like, are you like an 11 now? A lot of well, tens. Well, you can only have one 10, so well, they, they used it up early. <laughs> because for me, there's just enough incorrect here. I'm not going to say wrong because that makes it sound like they're bad choices made, <laughs> but there are just things that, you know, with an expansion might be implemented better with an adding of a mechanic or something, but this is not, yeah, this is a solid seven for me. It's fun. I, it's not a bad game. I have, I've enjoyed all my plays. I've enjoyed it at two and I've enjoyed it at four. There are some very, I, it's not a player elimination game, which I think is very important for my enjoyment. There is a player elimination, but it does hose you if you get eliminated. Yes. Hard. You do get a new character, but you get a naked character. Yeah. <laughs> you get no equipment, no nothing. And they take your horse. Yeah. Um, just got that horse too. So, <laughs> love, love that, that horse. horse. <laughs> it works well. It's thematic. It's sufficiently easy to learn, but with a lot of replayability. These are all things I like about it. But then at the same time, Crossroads didn't really come into effect in any of the games that I've played all that much. And the movement, the pretty much any type of action that you do outside or even thinking about going outside penalty. I don't like that. These are things that are not going to stop me from playing. I just wish they were better implemented. So overall, yeah, I'm, I'm good on this game. I think it's a seven. I didn't have the experience that these other people have had that think it's a 10. I I don't know what they've experienced that's brought them that level of joy, but uh, it's not in this box for me. But lest there be any confusion, I did enjoy this game overall, and I would like to play it again. 
Yeah, overall, uh, fun factor. I had, I had fun with it. We, we had a good time. I think everybody at the table had a pretty decent time. At least it seemed like it. I wasn't told I had to sleep on the couch after you guys left. So that's always a plus. Uh, <laughs> so everybody seemed to have a decent time. We had a lot of fun again with some of the fluff, with some of the voting that we got to do, uh, things like that. And I think just in general, us, us, BSing around the table and, and having a good time with it. But I don't know. It's, it's maybe on the six, just, uh, maybe creeping up to a seven for me. It's it. There are things that just kind of stagnate a little bit for me. Part of it, is, you kind of talked about it, but maybe not specifically this focus, but the, the game to me puts you in a position where you, you move once because you have to, you don't move again unless you absolutely have to. I mean, it, it, puts that in your head really i mean Mm -hmm. it it, it's such a negative to move uh and such a risk to move but you need to move so once you're in a location i don't want to go back to hq i don't want to go to another location if there's cards here or if i can get rid of some and then even fighting zombies is a pain in the ass Mm -hmm. to to, to, so which okay thematically can make some fighting the zombies isn't the pain in the ass it's the (laughs) frostbite yeah well or or the bite yeah. yeah you did something outside the, right. the combat is the best part about it. The combat and the search. It's just, you're not rolling dice. Well, you've rolled your dice mm-hmm. and either you can do something or you can't. You always kill the zombie if you right. meet your die. Yeah. You always find something if you meet your die. I'm in the library. Why did I get frostbite? <laughs> yeah. So little, little things like that. And, and the fact that it doesn't really encourage you in the mechanics to explore as much as you need to. It does in the fact that you have to get the crisis taken care of, but you don't want to. Mm-hmm. I mean, you really don't want to. And that bothers me a little bit. Other than that, again, uh, the crossroads, lots of good fluff there, lots of things going on, lots of things to be thematic. Uh, having the other player next to you kind of going, Oh, 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 are you going to do it? Oh, you did it. Oh, you triggered this. Uh, it's kind of fun. And like I said, it just be give me my choices. Let's not do the consequences, which is an easy thing you can just do really Mm -hmm. but that would be a lot more interesting especially when it comes to voting appealing to people's emotional side versus the what does it do for me in the game side (laughs) it'd be kind of interesting uh so overall i did have fun with this one i do want to play it some more i'm not going to turn down us breaking it out and it's it's in my wheelhouse for things i like does fall a little bit flat for me though in certain aspects though and like you said i don't know maybe an expansion or something like that could could spice it up a little bit more and bring it up to an eight or a nine. But uh, right now it's six, uh, not quite seven I'd like to me. see them do something in terms of expansion that would add more players. Because mm-hmm. I don't think, I, I think each player's turn is fast enough once everybody's experienced to know the game that going up to six players would not slow down the game that much. And then it would also increase the viability of the crossroads deck. Crossroads coming out. Yeah. This crossroads deck, uh, it, it's this is a good idea. This is what intrigued me most mm-hmm. about the game because before that it was like zombie game from Plaid Hat. Yeah, that's all we really heard. Yeah. yeah. And since this is their first attempt at the crossroads, hopefully they're listening to the feedback from people other than the tens and will do something in their next game with the crossroads mechanic to make it a more int- integral part of the game. Because mm-hmm. for the most part, that was the that was what I was looking forward to most, but it also had the least impact in the games that I've played. I would agree. Now, Don. 
John is going to share a recommendation with us. Hey, before you do that, just wanted to let you know that you've gotten your some feedback on Facebook and, and some other things that I've shared with you. But uh, above and beyond that, I have actually added things to my Netflix queue to eventually watch. I haven't gotten to it yet, but I, every time I see something, oh yeah, Don talked about that. And it, so let me, let me add that to my Netflix queue. So it's in my watch list. So, uh, one step closer. Well, thank you for the feedback. It's, <laughs> it's always good to hear that people are listening, I guess. All right. Uh, my recommendation this time around is the series called Fate Zero. That's Fate slash Zero because putting spaces between words is so 2002. <laughs> to talk about Fate Zero, I first got to talk about where this whole franchise started which is Fate Stay Night, Fate Slash Stay Night, which was a game released by a group called Type Moon, Type Dash Moon, in 2004. This was an arrow game, a hentai game, of the visual novel variety, like I've talked about before, where you don't actually do any action things, it's just a series of decision points, and reading text and dealing with characters, and sleeping with them. It turned out to be one of the most popular visual novels in history, and it spawned all sorts of different other pieces of this franchise, a sequel game, a bunch of novels, some fighting games, an RPG, manga anime spinoff series, Fate Khalid, which turns one of the characters into a magical girl. It also got an anime series produced in 2006, done by Studio Dean, 24 episodes. It's released here in the U.S. by Genion, and it's been recently released by Sentai on Blu-ray. And there was another movie made in 2010, and coming in 2014 later this year, is a new uh, remake of the series by UFO Table. The Fate's Stay Night series. It's not a remake, is it? I thought it was a continuation. The new series is going to be a remake. Oh. The one that's coming up. The basis of the the world is it's more or less modern day world, except for magic exists. Not that most people know about it. But under the covers, it does. And every 60 years, there's a war for the Holy Grail between a bunch of different mages. The Holy Grail is this curious artifact that the winner of the Grail War gets whatever wish they want. They get a wish. Seven mages are chosen, partly by the Grail, and each of them gets to summon a servant, which is a hero from history or folklore. There are seven different classes of servants, saber, archer, lancer, berserker, assassin, and caster, and each Grail War has one of each type. Each of these heroes also gets a noble phantasm, which is kind of a superpower or artifact that's related to who they were in life or folklore. The one in Fate Stay Night is a little bit weird in that while these are normally 60 years apart, this one happens only 10 years after the previous one. It's because the previous one ended up really bad, really messed up in some way. And some of that stuff still causes problems in the Fate Stay Night series as well. Of course, a big question is what did happen that time? And one of the big spinoffs is Fate Zero, which tells the story of what happened in a previous Grail War. It was originally a light novel series written by a guy named Gen Urobochi, who has now become a very famous screenwriter and novelist after he did this series and Monica Magica and some other ones. He's one of those names now that will sell a series just because his name's on it. It was uh, turned into an anime series in 2011 and then second half in 2012, totaling 25 episodes. They had a break in the middle as they decided they want to spend more time working on the artwork. It was also done by UFO Table, who's doing the series coming up later this year. They pulled together a Oh, fairly known director and uh, the music composer, one of my, really is my all-time favorite anime music composer, Yuki Kajira, worked on it, and a few others. So they pulled together a, a, quite a team to put this thing together. Uh, as a sequel to Fate Stay Night, it's it's got some very basic differences. The Fate Stay Night one 
having it come over in 10 years after the previous kind of took people by surprise. So they just kind of threw things together and threw whatever kids that they were sort of training for this into it quickly. Whereas in the Fate Zero, they've had six years to prepare. They're bringing the best of the best, people that they've been training for years, and they bring these artifacts to get them to summon the best servants they could find. In Fate Stay Night, pretty much none of the servants are any sort of known character from history. There's kind of generic heroes, with one major exception being the lead, Saber, who is, minor spoilers, King Arthur. Though in this universe, King Arthur is a female, because arrow game. Like to sit at her round table. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Actually, the whole Guinevere things makes more sense that way. But <laughs> she returned. She's also in um, Fate Zero. And, and this one, since they have all this time to prepare, they come up with much more powerful servants. They're all known names, though some are more obscure than others, from history and from folklore. And I'll mention a couple more that aren't re- too much spoilers because they just announced their own names. One is Iskandar, who we know as Alexander the Great. Another is Gilgamesh from the classic legend. So these are big names clashing over this Grail War. When I first watched Fate's Day Night years ago, I was impressed by the artwork, the music, the storyline was really good. For some reason, it wasn't that great. It's just, they had all the pieces, but they didn't quite click together. It's just it's kind of missing that special something that I can never quite nail down. So when I heard about Fate Zero, I wasn't all that excited. Even though I was hearing really good reviews, I'm like, yeah, just, it must be something wrong with the universe. It just isn't that interesting. When I finally sat down and started watching it, I started to think, this isn't just a good show. This is one of the best I've ever seen. Starting from the beginning, it's not a simple story of, here's the main character, he's a good guy, everyone else is bad guys, or anything like that. It's, you're seeing a lot of different groups, these different mages, into this war for lots of different reasons. And at least initially, it's not even clear who the main characters are. You're seeing them all with their own reasons for being in the war. Uh, some good, some not so good, and quite a variety of characters. And as the story develops, things take t- twists and turns in different ways where people, you th- which are good guys, make mistakes and do th- terrible things, whereas, and sometimes the bad guys are working on the good side. It changes and twists, and the morality of it's somewhere in the middle in a lot of, t- lot of places. As much as the show is a battle of swords and magic, it's also very much a battle of ideologies. These are major characters from history and folklore that are here for a wish, fighting for this grail. And they have very strong personalities and ideologies. And they don't always, they don't agree it much at all. And one of the most interesting aspects of the show is how the masters and their servants often do not agree at all on their own ideologies either. In fact, the, uh, the leads of Saber and her master, uh, Kiritsugu Emiya, completely disagree where she's a a knight and a king and wants to fight honorably chivalrously in duels whereas he is trying to put a sniper bullet in the other mage's head the only group that really gets along well is a pair of child murdering psychopaths those two get along great of course (laughs) but pretty much everybody else clashes in one way or another but in different ways the most interesting group and easily the most interesting character is the character of this one's rider Alexander the Great, Iskandar. He was my favorite. He called it both as a team, as a, as a master and servant. Yeah. As a character and as a team. Yep. Absolutely fantastic. And half the reason I love the show as much as I did. When you first see Iskandar appear, he seems like this big oaf. Boisterous, bombastic, and he just does whatever he wants, doesn't listen to his master. And you think he's just kind of a the, the comic relief. 
but that's completely wrong. He is not simple-minded at all. He th- completely thinks through everything he does. He's, he's very calculating. He acts the way he does because he's a king, because of who he is. He has reasons for everything, and his relationship with the young Waver, which is a, a mage who kind of sneaks his way into the whole Grail War, becomes something like a father-son relationship. That's not quite right. They think of themselves as lord and retainer, and that's much closer. But it's really a coming-of-age story for, for Waver with this father-like figure in Alexander who drives big parts of the show in his own way. And as I said about Battle of Ideologies, my favorite scene of the whole series is when Iskandar just bursts into Saber's mansion with a big barrel of ale or some drink and asks to sit down and have a drink. And they find uh, Gilgamesh as well. So they have this little sit-down and drinking with the King of Conquerors, the King of Knights, and the King of Heroes. And they have this long discussion about what it means to be a king and their own personal views and ideologies of it. And they're not at all the same, but they all make sense in their own way. There's a a lot of stuff that goes on in the show in a lot of different directions and not good things happen to a lot of characters. And not really a spoiler, it does not end in a pretty way, as Fate Stay Night will tell us. But it's got some incredible artwork, some very involved storytelling with a lot of different characters doing a lot of different things. And let me tell you, Iskandar alone is totally worth the price of admission. <laughs> he's my favorite character because he's he's just so gregarious throughout the whole thing. Even well, like you said, even when they're having the debate about what makes a real king, the debate is also just an excuse to sit down and drink. And it is. You said it was kind of a master retainer relationship, but I, I viewed them all as both learning from the other. Well, except for Gilgamesh, but yeah, because he's an ass. Yeah, the 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 servants were learning as much from the master because the servants also had a vested interest in in the master winning the Grail, as the masters were were learning in theory from the uh, the servants' experience. Right, and they weren't always happy about learning from each other either. Right. In moments of real clashing, like the last time a saber fought lancer, mm-hmm. that was a very almost difficult scene to watch. Yes. They did a very good job of setting up everybody as opponents, but at the same time pointing out and reinforcing, not like a hammer, but reinforcing that these are historical characters that have known each other, or at least that's the impression I've got, that have known each other either through direct interaction and other Grail Wars or are aware of them because they happened prior to their history. Well, they say in the show that they all get knowledge of history yes. when there's someone there. So they all know about each other. And actually, part of the Grail Wars try to hide your identity. Yeah. Because that kind of gives away sorts of the things you can do. So so even once the things are revealed and, and, and identities are revealed, they still do a good job, I thought, of showing that the, the servants, they're there because they have to be. But even, well, everybody except uh, Guy Dere, everybody was there with a generally honorable point of view going in at least they knew that they were there to serve a purpose and they wanted to, to have the best fight possible and the best fight is a fair fight and they were looking for their own wish yeah which is why they were willing to be summoned and yeah well most of them were honorable not all of them Gil- gilgamesh just you know his his own very selfish view of the world and you can say that about alexander too from a different perspective Really, well, in a sense, you know, they, they were... that that was my favorite dynamic between those three because Gilgamesh never never changed his mind 
But Alexander took what both he and Arthur said and kind of did not right ignore it, but said that I understand what you're saying, but that's why you're wrong. You know, mostly to Arthur. Mm-hmm. And Arthur, uh, after the drinking party, spent two or three good eps um, really going over what she had learned from Iskandar and wondered if that was why the Britons fell, why her empire ended. Yeah, uh, so much of her character development came about because of that discussion. And that lasted not only those few episodes, but throughout with the, with the clash with Berserker and all that yeah. stuff. All came as a, well, a part of that. once Berserker was revealed. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So it's a complex, interesting show, 25 episodes long. The first episode is an hour long. The rest are the normal length. You can find it on Crunchyroll, Hulu, Netflix, Neon Alley, Simul TV, or you can pay a whole lot of money to buy the Aniplex DVDs, or you can play, pay an arm, a leg, and your firstborn to get the Blu-rays from Aniplex. Don's horrible wallet cruncher. <laughs> oh, so... I mean, they're gorgeous releases, but man, are they expensive. But I had to do it because I had seen the show streaming first before it was ever announced that they'd come out. And I knew the quality of the artwork, the backgrounds and stuff, just gorgeous. And I just, I had to get the gorgeous Blu-ray versions. And of course, it came with the soundtracks. And I'm such a huge fan of Kajira that I'm just, I got to get the soundtracks too. There's some songs that are just fantastic, like the You Are My King song. You can I, guess what, what uh, scene that came in. For- soundtracks because sometimes it's just it just strikes my ear as mostly empty pop and and that's probably because i that's the only thing they don't translate in the dubs is 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 the theme song but so much of a of what i've watched is just you know high high tempo happy overly happy i'm assuming kind of music yeah fate zero no uh-uh. and yuki kajir is it's very haunting complex music with orchestral and choruses and stuff I really love the sound of it. So I, I love the soundtracks too. But I highly recommend the series. I would second that. It's a it's a great story. So did it get better for you after the first set of discs or something? <laughs> oh well I, it's a great story, but I it's not it's not the best thing I've ever read in any language. I mean it's given the, the nature of what they're fighting for, the holy grail, there's really only one outcome. Nobody's going to be satisfied. And that's where it gets to. How they get to nobody being satisfied was told very well, unlike, say, uh, Revenge of the Sith. We knew how that was going to end, and it was a shitty movie that we knew how it was going to end. <laughs> so for me, the expected outcome was achieved, but it still told a t- good story getting there. Was it the most original story I've ever read? No, because I've read a lot of powerful artifact stories. Was it the most original use of characters? No, because I've read a lot of these characters. But... I've read, uh, I watched this and they put it together in such a a good way that despite the fact it was not 100% original, it was still very enjoyable. Got me from point A to point B in a really good way with enough twists and turns. I didn't realize who Berserker was going to be until almost to the reveal. Once they, because they kind of telegraphed that a little bit. But mm-hmm. overall, it was very enjoyable. There's some good obscure characters there. Gidada, who came out of pseudo history being related to Joan of Arc. He was a real character. He's, he's a real person in history and was accused of witchcraft or, or devil worship. That's his claim to fame, but he is tangentially associated with Joan of Arc, who he thought Arthur was because once she was revealed to be a blonde woman with a sword. So of course had to be Joan of Arc. 
Uh, so there were good characters in there and they blended together into a very enjoyable story. But, but no, I mean, I, it's certainly not the best thing I've ever seen, but it's very enjoyable. Oh, I did want to at least mention the dub that they put on it, which was directed by anime legend Tony Oliver, who's been working since Robotech days. The one character I was really, really concerned about was Ryder, was a Skandar, because there's so many layers to that character that you don't even realize are there initially. That was, I hope they get this one right. And they absolutely did. Jameson Price just nailed it. The best thing about uh, Skandar is he tried to integrate all the other people, <laughs> all the other mess, all the other servants were, were what they were. But there's, there, he's walking around downtown, wherever they were supposed to be, Tokyo or wherever, with velvet and, he sees a t-shirt for a video game in a store. He's like, I need that shirt. And the next step, he's getting a delivery and he's got a shirt, which is like one size too small. So now it's like a muscle shirt on him. And it's like the video <laughs> game is like, Oh, you say this is a game. So then you see him online and he's researching the game. So he's, then he's nagging velvet to go into town and buy the video game system to get the game. To, he's integrating into where he is and he's really embracing all aspects of being the servant in, in, in this time period, whereas everybody else is a little bit more staid. And it works for most of the characters, but, you know, they deliberately put him out there to be, to start off as the comic relief, but to gradually become the character that teaches many of the characters, including Velvet, what it means to, what it's like to be a king, what it's like to be out of time, what it's like to have failed at a dream, and also but what it's like to to succeed against impossible odds. So he's, to my mind, he's the crux of the show because everything going around it really revolves around him. And if you look back on it, the whole integrating thing makes a lot more sense, too, when you think of him from a conqueror perspective. Mm -hmm. Is that how, how he sees himself? So he wants to learn this other world before he conquers it. Yep. What we're watching. What we're watching, really not a lot in my house. Last Ship finished up uh, with the expected cliffhanger ending and the who's the good guy, who's the bad guy, now that they're back on land. Not deep TV, but it's enjoyable popcorn. So every Monday I watch that. It's recorded Sunday, I watch it on Monday. I've only watched a few more eps of Chihaya Furu, but I'm up to 18 or 19 now. She's, she's trying to learn how to defeat the queen without relying on her speed ah yes <laughs> it's kind of like an after school special because every app she's got to learn something new about herself you know how to be a better player and how being a better player impacts her being a better person but it's not it's not sappy like that it's not like and today there's going to be a very special discussion it's just very much <laughs> how she is um it's very natural learning to be a person and some of the other characters are a little bit more shoehorned in there doing the same thing. But her is the main. Uh, it's very well done. And and that is actually a theme song that I do like. Oh, yeah. I don't know why. Because, but I like it. And then uh started watching Stargate SG-1 on uh, Prime. I, I don't know why. I was just bored and I wanted something. <laughs> so started with season one of SG-1. And uh man, that first season, again, kind of hard. Kind of hard. They hadn't quite gelled yet. And uh I've never watched any of it. Really? You should. It's good solid stuff. I For wasn't the first all that seasons. thrilled. I don't know. I mean, probably, I guess, but I was not I'm not a huge fan of the movie. So get the, out of this house so right now. The I don't show, care if you live here. You can leave. So the idea of a TV show over a mediocre movie, eh, I just never got on board. They take it in good directions. For a while. Then they kind of just lose their crap. <laughs> 
once uh, the Ori, the last two seasons with the Ori, I was like, you just did this, only it took you 10 years with the Goa Wolf. I didn't even think I made it to the last couple seasons because it already lost. They're just throwing things around randomly at some point. Well, the point. last two seasons were totally horrible. And then the two seasons before that, where they tried to go Arthurian, was like weak, but I had already invested like six years in the show. So, so <laughs> damn. damn it, I'm going to see it through. <laughs> and this past weekend, the new Who started and we watched that. Let's see. Falling Skies got caught up with that. And this Sunday will be the season finale. Defiance been watching, but still behind on that. Yeah, it's piling up on our DVR. Yeah, that we went Falling Skies first, and then we were going to start in on Defiance here soon. Uh, this last week, like Megan and I hardly saw each other, let alone watched anything. So last night we got through all the Falling Skies, and that's all the time we had last night. But Doctor Who, we watched that. What did you think overall? I mean, you, you just mentioned it and, and blew by, but. Well, there you go. <laughs> uh, you know, it's more of the same. And as you know, I'm generally not all that keen on it. <laughs> I was quite happy that they let Capaldi stay Scottish. I was quite happy that they had him be a dick. <laughs> I hope they keep him that way. I hope they don't turn him into shiny, happy, everything is awesome Lego doctor like the last three, because this really harkened back for me to Colin Baker. And when Colin Baker became the doctor after Davison, he was a dick. He he was selfish. He didn't really care about his companions. He had no problem throwing them to the wolves if needed. He was just a little bit crazy. He did not have a successful, uh, a smooth, I should say, regeneration. So I'm kind of hoping that now that we've got some age, we might actually get something other than shiny, happy REM music, too. <laughs> yeah, I overall, I was I enjoyed it. I thought it was a decent transition i understood what they were going for to make the transition and to try to get clara on board and all that good stuff that said it was kind of a weak episode too i mean uh, it kind of sucks that the introduction was a weak episode at the end see i'm assuming that's the ronnie but Mm -hmm. they've said that no other time lord survived so if they're going to keep breaking that rule every time they want a time lord villain (laughs) to nostalgia back to the original series Doctor Who breaking its own rules? That never happens. <laughs> well, there's a difference between breaking their own rules and having weak writing. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to, to what it's got to bring. And I'm hoping that this was just kind of the bridge episode because it was, it was okay, but it was, it was kind of weak. You know, if you're going to do something, ensure that you have the computing technology, the green screen technology, the physical ability to pull it off. And I'm sorry, the running through the rooftops and the jumping <laughs> through the tree, it just looked bad. I mean, not just unbelievable, but this Come is on. back to BBC's 60s bad. <laughs> it's classic who. It's classic because back then they didn't have the technology. Now they do. If you can't make him believably run across the roof and jump into a tree, just don't do it. <laughs> just don't do it. You could do something better with those two minutes. All right. And then uh True Blood is finished. Eh, it's finished. <laughs> Especially this past season has just been kind of, well, we've been here this whole time, so might as well see it through. <laughs> some of it was decent, some of it was bad. I didn't I don't think it was a bad finale, uh, especially a, a final finale, but there are a couple of things that were kind of eh, whatever. And I think even at the end Megan kind of turned to me she goes, so, so they're just going to leave it like that, huh, or whatever." So, eh, it was okay. It's over. It needed to be over. Face off, like I said, I've said before, that's, uh, we've been watching that and Ninja Warrior. Now that they're on to the finals, been watching that still and, uh, enjoying that. 
Oh, since you mentioned Ninja Warrior, we've also been watching Wipeout. Oh, nice. I don't know how we fell off of Wipeout. We used to watch that all the time, and then all of a sudden we kind of fell off. I think we fell off when they replaced Jill, and then Jill came back, and we haven't gone back. Because <laughs> <laughs> the chick that replaced Jill was not that great. I mean, and it's such a, you know, it's such a minor, stupid little role, but it, it was just like, no, we're done <laughs> for a little while anyway. Let's see. And then we've had internet slash cable issues off and on here in our oh, charter, area. You say. Yeah. So (laughs) one night when we could not access anything, we threw in Party Down Season 2. So that was kind of a fun flashbacky kind of watch. uh, Older show. A nice comedy. You've never seen any of it, I'm assuming. Yeah. Uh, It is pretty cool. It's kind of the early days of like, what's his, the hell's his name? One of the guys from Parks and Rec and Veronica Mars was on it. And, and a couple, a few other people, but it's a, it's a comedy, little catering business comedy. And it's, it's pretty decent. It was worth a watch when there was no access to anything. We couldn't even I have get absolutely it. nothing else to do. Let's put this in. Well, we could, there's, there's an endorsement. Well, no, it was just, it was there, but we, like we couldn't even get to our DVR that night. Everything was for fried that night. Uh, and you then, know what was stupid about that night? What was it? Charter put up. A status of all their outages. Well, the if website? all your clients don't have internet <laughs> on the website, how are yeah. they going to see your status? <laughs> yeah, great. <laughs> well, the weird thing too was when it popped, like certain things popped in and out. Like for the longest time, Facebook wasn't working, but then Facebook was the only site I could get to. Or like, um, early on, like Google search worked. You just couldn't go to anything Google search found. <laughs> Just it was such a bizarre night. That's just the internet company interconnect companies <laughs> screwing with know, everybody. It was just so bizarre. Who cares about like, what they're charging you for bandwidth? We control what they get. It was you know what? You know it, I think we saw the glimpse of the future that everybody's worried about about the uh, throttle down and and the pay pay for <laughs> access. Hey, my Google works. Yeah, because it was like uh for a while like Star Realms online would work. And then it would stop. And then it was just like... That's a good thing that's async. (laughs) Exactly. And then I brought this up last time I finished it. I just started it, but I did finish Young Justice. Mm -hmm. So that was a good watch. I enjoyed that all the way through. A lot longer than I thought it was going to be. I had, you know, I had the 13 episode thing in my head. It's like 26. That's full full on season. Uh, but it was a good season. I, I enjoyed that a, a lot. Did you watch the, yeah, the yeah. whole thing? And lots of good character. I mean, they brought in just about everybody. Yeah. Good characterization right out of the gate. Yeah. Kind of half the Titans and then Manhunter in there. And yeah. Yeah. They did it. They did a good job with that. Again, DC knocking animation out of the park. So I'm kind of actually looking forward to a season two for that. We watched Son of Batman. Have you watched that? I have not. Um, I didn't mind. It was pretty decent. I've heard mixed things about it. I think Megan seemed to enjoy it too. It was actually her pick. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the story and, uh, kind of that whole aspect. Cause I had, I've never read any of the comics for Talia having his, his son. So I, I didn't know most of that, that stuff. I mean, it wasn't something that I had read through. So it was kind of an interesting thing to see him kind of take on the mantle of Robin for, for the, at least for the animation side. And then the other night, Megan also made an interesting choice. We watched Amazing Spider-Man 2. <laughs> That's all. Oh, Megan. That's all I have to say about that. <laughs> well, at least it wasn't three. <laughs> huh? 
Well, we haven't gotten three yet. No, because it's not going to be three. It's <laughs> going to be the Secret Six, yeah. the Sinister Six. Well, if they hasn't that even been delayed now because of no, they got two? a new director for it. But. Well, I thought they had even kind of put it off because of all the crap two was getting. Sony will never do that. They yeah. got to keep pumping these. They got to keep, keep the license. Yeah, it had possibilities, <laughs> just never, never delivered on them. And that that's me. So on. What you got, Don? What have you been watching? All right. Well, I went to Expendables 3 a couple weekends ago. <laughs> you're giving me a thumbs up over there, huh? Yeah. I was let That's down. That's good. <laughs> well, you're looking at me like maybe I'm just shitting on you or something, but no, I liked it. You liked it, really? Yeah. I thought it was a huge miscalculation on their part. Well, you get out of the house then. <laughs> well, the it's whole a podcast of one. The whole concept behind Expendables is throwing together all these old school action heroes, right? Throwing them all together in the same movie. That's what I want to see. Well, yeah. So why did they fire them in the first 10 minutes? So that they could come back and rescue the kids who don't know anything. Okay, not not much of a spoiler that they come back later. <laughs> but by that point, it's basically in video game mode, where it's just slaughtering tons well, and tons were. of bad guys. But yeah. it, it, the movie missed out on most of that fun stuff of the, of the banter and the interaction. Of all it. right, if you didn't understand, this is the third one. There was a one and a two beforehand that would have prepped you for three. <laughs> <laughs> I felt like they gutted the best part of it. And I didn't really understand why. So I, I could get the hot MMA chick on there and scantily clad. That that was my takeaway. <laughs> I actually kind of liked the, the new, the young cast. They were actually kind of interesting. But I was like, where do my expendables go? <laughs> I'm watching just They're a plane. waiting for the plane. It's in the title. <laughs> yeah, They're in the title. It was in the first fun 10 minutes. And then, like, I was just kind of waiting for them to show back up. Okay, uh... Onto the anime side, watching streaming on Funimation site, a series called Noragami. It's about a modern day Tokyo girl who risks her life to save a boy from getting hit by a truck. Turns out the boy is actually a god, like a Shinto deity, who's kind of a loser god, doing odd jobs, trying to earn a little bit of money to buy his own shrine. You're a god, but you kind of yeah. suck, so. He, is there, like, get a haircut, get a real job. That's kind of what it is, yeah. <laughs> it's the backhanded compliment of the universe, isn't it? <laughs> Just, uh, you're, you're not even Greek. <laughs> Nobody remembers you. <laughs> well, this uh, encounter kind of messed her up a little bit, and that her soul became kind of detached from her body, and it kind of slips out from time to time, leaving her body to sleeping, where she can kind of float around and stuff like that. And she, and she chases down this god and kind of asks him, Come, please help me. And he, and he agrees because he's trying to be a good god, trying to make some money. But he doesn't really know how, so he keeps putting it off. Uh, the, the god gets a new weapon in the beginning, which is souls of people who were killed prematurely, that they turn into weapons that are kind of like companions and weapons. Or he gets his young boy. And at about the halfway God's point... horrible <laughs> truths. <laughs> about the halfway Careful. point, the, the, the show kept getting darker and darker, where it got more into this god's past as a war god. And the boy's past... And the troubles he's having, how he's like slowly turning into a demon because of his depression and all that stuff. It was a decent show. It had a, a, a good flow to it, and I kind of liked the characters. And I watched a series on uh, Crunchyroll called Hamatora. It's uh, a group of people with special powers, uh, youngsters that run a sort of detective agency, they call it, but it's really more of an odd job sort of thing. In this world, which is modern-day world, some people have special powers, so the government's keeping it under wraps. And they're training them to become like politicians and leaders of business and stuff. Well, this little group didn't like that and they just left, made their own little place. And they kind of work with the police to go up against super powered criminals. So it's kind of like an X-Men sort of thing. 
there's a whole storyline going on in the show of this bad guy who's murdering people with special powers, taking their brains out, extracting essence and giving it to normal people, which gives them special powers. Of course, he just gives it to the crazier ones who then go on rampages. I didn't really click with the show. It was well done. It was good artwork and all that stuff, but I never connected with the characters at all. I was just kind of watching them, watching stuff happen. And it all went by, and I'm like, okay. But apparently some people liked it because uh, it's getting a second season going on right now. Then I watched a series on Crunchyroll called Setokai Yakuindomo, which translates to uh, members of the student council, which is just about a, a student council in a school. I know what it translates to. You better damn send me that list, or it's not going to the show notes. <laughs> yeah, I'll send you the list. <laughs> That's what it translates to me. Seitokai student council. Okay, anyway. <laughs> That's what I saw when I read it. Oh, but it gets grumpy when we get to the foreign language show notes. It's a, just a light comedy series, slice of life sort of comedy. It's not a dirty show itself, but the characters are really dirty-minded. Ooh, I like it. Which I think is really the comedy of the show. What would is be the title of that again? Seitokai Yakuindomo. Okay. Did you get that, Jeff? What now? <laughs> <laughs> the comedy of the show is really these normal-looking characters in a normal-looking show just saying just totally out-of-place, dirty things. The kind of thing that is makes you... podcast? <laughs> <laughs> the kind of thing that makes they you... need a network. <laughs> that makes you do a double take. Like, wait, what did she just say? Which doesn't really work all that well in kind of a hyper-subtitled show. Because it's like, wait, what? And then you go back and try to reread it. But then it goes away. And while the brain's still processing what the joke was, the next joke already comes and goes. So I was just kind of having problems keeping up. It's also, strangely, the second season of the show. There was a previous season, and I kind of felt a little bit behind the curve in that there's always characters that only get just a quick introduction because they were got their more time in the first season. So I probably wanted to like it, but it was just kind of moving by too fast for me to really get a good laugh out of. Then on Crunchyroll, I watched Wake Up Girls, Seven Idols which is both a movie and a TV series. Curiously, they released the movie in theaters the same time as they released the first episode of the TV series. Kind of an interesting way to go about things. The movie is a prequel to the TV show. It's about a, a talent agency that's pretty much out of talent that decides that they wanted to get into the Japanese pop idol business. So they put a little casting call, and the seven girls who apply all get jobs. They all get put together in a group of singers. All you know, They're all amateurs mostly and stuff. And the show is just them climbing from the very bottom rung, kind of working their way up in the pop idol world with some decent light drama, likable characters. It was a pretty good uh, pop idol sort of show. I didn't like it as much as other ones like Idol Master, but it was okay. Um, speaking of Idol Master, on a Funimation site, I'm watching a spinoff of the Idol Master series called Puchimas. Idol Master has gotten a bunch of different media directions and like weird series like Xenoglossia. Well, Puchimas is a short-form show, so they're two-minute-long episodes. Well, they take the fairly large cast of Idolmaster girls, and they make miniaturized versions of them, which kind of get adopted by the main cast. And they keep these, like, little chibi versions running around that can only say one thing each. And they all have special powers for some reason. It's really freaking weird. But... Man, it's got me laughing. For the you don't have to convince me. The DVD with all 25 minutes. <laughs> I was already at really freaking weird when you were describing it. It's bizarre, but I like I like the the universe, the Idol Master franchise in general, and it, it does make me laugh. And I do get a kick out of it just every night watching you know, one or two up two minute episodes of it and chuckle a little bit. 
On Crunchyroll, watched a 12-episode series called Witchcraft Works. It's uh, modern-day Tokyo, where a fairly average high school boy suddenly has a building thrown at him. And Eat with that. That's <laughs> my high school years all over again. <laughs> he is no less surprised when he is saved by the most beautiful and mysterious girl in school, who is dressed in a witch's outfit, who saves him by flying on a broom. It turns out there are rich witches in the world, and they're after him. For some reasons, he don't understand. And this girl promises to protect him. Well, there's two different kinds of witches. There's the, the workshop witches, which are kind of good witches that protect humanity. And then there's the tower witches, which are just in it for themselves. And then two sides are at odds, and tower witches are trying to capture the guy. I was, you can't trust those tower chicks. You can't. No. I was having problems getting into the show because of the way it would kind of whip back and forth with what it was doing. At one moment, they would introduce these... Uh, new tower witches that look all dangerous and scary. And then seconds later, they're just getting beat up in a comic relief sort of way. And a couple of witches will have a huge devastating battle followed by hours of torture. And then a couple of days later, the two of them will be sitting, having tea together, joking about the whole thing. It's kind of throwing me around with that. So I was having problems getting into it, but I kind of got into its groove after a while and it had a really good conclusion. The last three episodes were really quite good. So I came away with really positive look on the whole show. I rather liked it. Then the last thing I've been watching streaming lately, a series on Crunchyroll called ZX Ignition, Z slash X Ignition, which is short for Zillions of Enemy X, which they wisely shortened to Z slash X. It's based on a Japanese card game, collectible card game of the same name, ZX. Boo. Yeah, that's kind of how I go into these sort of things, but it's not done like Cardfight Vanguard where they're trying to teach you the game. They go the completely other direction of um, like stuff really happening in the world where these gates opened up all over the planet and released these monsters and just wreaked havoc for a while. Humanity finally managed to fight back by making these devices that could capture them and then use them. They call them card devices. Shock, shock. What? Yeah, so I'm like, oh, but this is based on a card game. Yeah, okay. Tonight we cancel the apocalypse <laughs> because I have this super rare. <laughs> they don't quite go that direction, though, with it. Uh they introduce the lead character who seems like a normal boy in a town that's kind of far away from the gates, so they're more or less protected from all this, where he's given one of these card devices by a mysterious girl, and then he stumbles upon a wounded Zex, they call him, and due to strange situations, he rescues her and captures her. And over the course of a little while, he meets a few of the other Zex users in the city and kind of builds relationships with them. It plays some kind of fish-out-of-water sort of things with this uh, angel girl who's never been on Earth before, doesn't know what TV is, stuff like that. Uh, they play some of that pretty well. And as it develops, it gets more into the politics of the different worlds that are invading and what's going on behind the scenes, the different now splintered factions of humanity and what they're doing. So it kind of builds up this, the politics of it, but at the same time, building up the humanity side of it with some of these characters. Numerous of the main characters are these kids, you know, teenagers, who watch their parents get slaughtered by Zexes, so they have some serious traumas, and that becomes a major part of the show, too. They actually managed to do quite a bit in 12 episodes and tell a pretty good interweaving story where it's not just individual arcs, but they kind of weave them all together. And uh, I came away quite surprised. It was a lot better than I was expecting, and I really wouldn't mind seeing more of it because they kind of leave a lot of things open in the end. Well, you can for three ninety nine a pack. <laughs> <laughs> Getting out of streaming, watching on DVD, a recent release... Space Adventure Cobra, which is a series from back in 1978, actually. The manga was 78. The anime series started in 82. It's space adventure sort of thing of a space pirate named Cobra. 
He used to be your dashing space pirate fella, but he changed his face to be more like a rugged guy just to try to get away from all the attention he was getting. Uh, his claim to fame is that his left arm, he can pull off like the prosthetic, and he's got a what they call a psycho gun in it, which okay. he, he can blast things with. We went with gun. <laughs> yes, gun. I was thinking there might be a whole different, total, totally different claim to fame there. It's had a few different versions I've seen over the years. Uh, this is the original, and I'm I'm really having fun watching it. This kind of classic space opera fun stuff with this Cobra fellow who's got all the the attitude of someone who's incredibly experienced and has no cause to fight for. Just the whole universe is his playground. He's been in more life and death situations than anyone can imagine. So he just kind of blows it all off. He's like, yeah, no big deal. And if he dies, well, yeah, it's about time anyway. So he just kind of goes through life having fun, having adventures that usually involve beautiful women and deadly space pirates. Space <laughs> like I said, I'm enjoying it. 12 episode series from released by Sentai recently. The second season of Uta no Prince Sama, which is a reverse harem show, which is one female and lots of males around her. The first season was about this girl who wants to be a writer for pop songs and going to a special school. And whole se- first season was about her meeting these cast of boys, pretty you know gorgeous boys, and getting them together into a group. You'll love the soundtrack, Jordan. Everything is awesome. <laughs> the first season ended with them getting a contract, getting getting signed. So the second season was them kind of working their way up in the pop idol world. The strangest thing about it was that it was really all about the boys, and the lead character, the girl, was almost not even in the show. As far as that kind of show goes, the verse harem, I'm not a huge fan of the genre in general, but this was an okay piece of it. It wasn't afraid to embrace the absurd. It kind of knew how silly it could be at times and just went with it, which I appreciated. One that I watched slightly more than two weeks ago, but I wanted to talk about anyway, because it's awesome, is a recent recent release by Funimation Entertainment called The Devil is a Part-Timer. It starts out in a fantasy world where the Devil King is wreaking havoc on humanity. Until a hero appears, and the hero with with the with the party managed to beat back the Devil King's armies and finally attack the Devil King himself. Realizing he's losing, he rips open a portal and jumps through it with one of his top minions. He lands in modern-day Tokyo, in a world that doesn't have magic power, so he's kind of drained. Figuring he's got to somehow work his way up and get power and get back to his own world, they use what little bit of their power left to get some IDs, get a nice little apartment, crappy little apartment, and figure out money is very important in this world, so they're going to get some jobs. Time skip six months to a year later, and they're still in this crappy little apartment. And two of them are arguing over whether or not they should have bought their refrigerator on a payment plan or not. The Devil King, his, his most important thing in his life right at that point is trying to become employee of the month at the fast food restaurant he works at. And in the first episode, he meets a young girl in the rain and kindly gives her his umbrella only to discover later that she's the hero from his world who followed them. She's been doing okay for herself. She's got a job in a call center, <laughs> got a better apartment. <laughs> she immediately attacks him, and they get caught by a policeman, and he chastises them for their little lover's quarrel. And the whole series is these guys just uh, fish out of water, trying to get by in this world, trying to live in poverty, while some people back from their old world are jumping into the our world to come after them, both of them. And they're trying to fight them back while well, just trying to make more money and trying to become a manager. <laughs> Got to work up the chain. When they all own this franchise. <laughs> you know, sometimes they hire part-timers into full-time. That's what he's gunning for. 
So this is the Chad Vader of anime. <laughs> I have to check that out. What's it called? The Devil is a Part Timer. Is that on Crunchyroll or is that just on? DVD? Funimation site. They should have the dub version on there now. Hulu probably has it, and of course I have the DVDs, uh, Blu-rays. So I had a really good good time with it. Some people have said it's one of the best comedies in the last couple of years. I wouldn't go that far. It's not like your laugh out loud sort of comedy, but it's one where you just kind of smile and chuckle the whole time and like the situations and the characters. Uh, this last weekend, I watched a series called Gotcha Man Crowds. Gotcha Man is an old property from back early 1970s, actually. It was brought over to the States as Battle the Planets once and later G-Force, if you recognize those. Heavily localized. It was also brought... Fiery Phoenix! Yep. In uh, 2005, ADV Films put out an actual unedited version of it with a new dub, which... So I finally got to see it, and I... Well, it's old school. It was kind of like, yeah, okay, it's old school. So I wasn't... I'm not a really huge fan of the franchise, so I wasn't super excited about this new sort of remake that came out. What's really strange about it is that it's got nothing to do with the original. Not even vaguely. Which I think putting the name on it actually hurt the series. Because I spent at least the first half trying to figure out what relation it had to the original, if anything. They got the same emblem, and they got the the villain has the same name. But that's it. That's literally it. You figured it out. What are you, yeah. what are you bitching about? <laughs> I kept looking for something else, but there just wasn't. Well, it starts out with this high school girl who's given the power to become a gotcha man, which is kind of like a, a little group of, they're sort of like superpowered men and men and black people. They can transform, get the powered armor on, and fight these aliens that are causing problems in humanity secretly so that no one knows about it. Well, this girl, she's very cheerful and bubbly, very airheaded, at least it seems. She doesn't go along with all the, the things of how they work or the status quo. or She just pretty much does whatever she wants. And she treats this whole thing kind of like uh, like a young girl getting a new cell phone. Just cheerful and fun and it's a new toy. What amazed me about the show was that the character isn't airheaded at all. But as it developed, I started to realize how intelligent she really was and how she always thought things through. And what seemed like just simple-minded and foolish was really wise and brave. And she kind of drags the whole show with her out of being predictable into being something completely different. And it sort of becomes a de facto leader of the group as they're just pulled along with the way she does things. The other whole side of the show is a character who's not even a gotcha man, but has powers of his own, that is trying to save the world through social media. That but, will never happen. <laughs> that will, it, it unless was, he's trying to save the world through pictures of cats, porn, and food. <laughs> not going to happen. It, it, it was fascinating how it was going and how it developed and how the show was willing to play with both the positive aspects that could come with things as well as the negative and kind of bouncing between them. It turned out to be, I thought, an excellent show, combining all these different elements together in a very interesting way. And with a lead character, it was just endlessly fascinating, despite me first thinking that she was going to be nothing but annoying. But the best thing I've watched lately is recently released by Funimation called A Certain Scientific Railgun S, which is a sequel to a spinoff. Few things make me as happy as sitting down to watch a certain something something series. The original was a series called A Certain Magical Index, of which I've seen the first season of. It takes place in sort of like modern day world, except psychic powers are real. They're well known and understood. God, I wished I lived in Japan where yeah. all this stuff was actually <laughs> real. It all takes place within this place called Academy City, which is a city that's mostly schools that are dedicated to training people how to use psychic powers. The lead character, Kami Joe, is this boy who's basically the bottom rung 
he's uh, level zero, they call him, because he's never shown any psychic ability whatsoever, despite the training. He's just kind of barely getting by, barely even a student anymore. When he runs into yeah, I know that. <laughs> <laughs> when he runs into a strange young girl in a nun's habit named Index, she's being chased by mages, wizards, which, like our world, magic isn't supposed to exist. But it turns out it really does, and there are secretly some people that, that practice it. And they're all chasing after Index. She has in her in her head every magical grimoire ever made, all stored up there. So she's you know, they're all after her. And Kami Joe has to decide to uh, step up as a hero and try to protect her. Well, he's not completely helpless. He has one curious ability of his own, where his right hand, anything he touches with his right hand, whether it's a psychic power or magic power, any supernatural power is instantly nullified. Now, the few people that know about it, none of them know why he has it or what it is, not even he himself. But it's a pretty handy ability to have, no pun intended. And throughout the course of the first season of Index... <laughs> There's various arcs uh, dealing with not only mages, but also other things going on within um, this Academy City. And the thing that I love the most about the series is how broad it was and how so many characters in the show, both secondary cast and tertiary cast, could have led a series all by themselves. There were all so many interesting, complicated characters all throughout this. And that's actually exactly what they did. My favorite arc of the first season of Index dealt with a girl called Makoto Misaka a middle school girl who is one of the most powerful psychics in all of Academy City. She has a power over electricity. Her most powerful trick is where she can take a coin and using electromagnetic magnetic forces, shoot it at incredible velocities as like a railgun. And that's, a, that's her code name, Railgun. Kami Joe, who kind of knows her, uh, runs into her when she's having some pretty serious problems and steps up as a hero and saves the day in one fantastic, really cool arc. So when I heard that they were going to make a series about Railgun as a character, I was really excited. I watched the first season of Railgun a little while ago and really enjoyed it, but I was rather surprised that it didn't contain that arc in it. It all takes place before that time with Railgun and her friends and her dealing with um, kind of the local student-run police group and various other problems going on in Academy City. Well, this is now the sequel to that, Railgun S, where the whole first half of it was dedicated to the arc from Index, and it was fantastic to see it all from her perspective. Instead of seeing just the very end of it from Kami Joe's perspective, we get to see the whole thing from her perspective and all the things that she went through. It's dark, it's emotional, and it's way better than I'd even hoped for. It's absolutely fantastic. I really, really, really loved it. And the second half of the show dealt with a lot of interesting stuff too, but that first half was just, even though it was sort of like a rerun, it was one of the best reruns I've ever seen. Completely, totally loved it. Highly recommend the whole certain something something series what we're reading slash listening to all right you want to do the new world stuff no no you I didn't forgot again <laughs> bastard A horrible horrible person all right well i've got nothing <laughs> <laughs> then if we're not going to discuss it man really i have nothing either i <laughs> rule books <laughs> and i've been long mind numbing work documents i've That's been doing rule books and uh, i reread all of it so to make sure we discussed it tonight <laughs> jackass <laughs> i'll put it on my calendar in fact i woke up this morning what well, you heard my day yes i, I woke up this morning and i said Got to read Goof, and I got to read Winter. This is what I'm going to do on my lunch break. And then my lunch break evaporated (laughs) into a ball of fury. 
uncontainable. On the plus side, though, while we were waiting for Jordan to read this, New Worlds did. We'll get to you, New World. Yeah, they did reach out and say, hey, did you, you know, because originally we had winter number three and goof one through three Mm -hmm. that they asked us to look at. And they're like, hey, four is out. Do you want to add four to the list? So we got four as well. So we'll be talking about winter with a Y, number three. Don't just. Every time. If you say it, I'm going to say it. And goof one through four. Next time? Could be. <laughs> uh, As of today, I can say there's a strong possibility <laughs> that that is a true statement. Uh, so, in 14 yeah. days. So we'll, we'll definitely be, uh, taking a look at that and talking about those then. And maybe I'll read them for a third time then. <laughs> if they just keep getting better, you might as well. <laughs> so you have anything else? No. All right. Well, Don, have you read anything? Just about programming languages. Sweet. Tell us all about that. Reminded me of a class. A big, <laughs> thick book. <laughs> all right. So I guess uh, there we go. That's our reading slash listening this time around. Uh, I did read some stuff, <laughs> rule books and in, in the comics, but uh, we're not going to talk about them for now. <laughs> next time, maybe. Yeah. Tune in again. Well, I think by next time, if you haven't read it, I, I'm going to talk about them anyway. Okay. Because we've put this off now twice. <laughs> I'm a horrible co-host. <laughs> so what we're you're, playing. You're supposed to deny that. Yeah, there's no denying that, though. <laughs> so, yeah, what we're playing. <laughs> Have you played anything? Yes. All right. Yes, well, I will. Go oh, oh, you had time for that. I had time to play. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I did. Because <laughs> driving 45 minutes to play games all day is a lot easier than 15 minutes on a comic. <laughs> Hmm. Let me uh, do the math on that again. <laughs> well, I can't drive and read the comic now, can I? Where's the Comicsology app to go and put a HUD on my windscreen? All right. Last weekend was our Pathfinder group, so we did that. We're doing um, Rise of the Rune Lords, and we're in the middle of a grind right now dealing with giants and ogres. It's uh, it's going to be tough because we're already pretty beat up after just the first six and we're told that there are many more to come. Run, run away. <laughs> uh, most of our party is uh, keen on doing that. However, through player knowledge, I know that that's not a good idea. <laughs> now I have to convince the rest of the party that we should risk dying rather than running away to get better. We got to get retooled because we were, we're equipment wise and spell wise, we were very unprepared, but <laughs> we're not in a position right now to sleep and retool our spells or get the gear we need to do this. That's on us. <laughs> Also played, uh, got in a game of Pathfinder adventure card game Skull and Shackles and, uh, plays very similar to the original. Um, <laughs> so far, I don't see a real benefit or need to the boats. The boats are just kind of, uh, a mechanic that's there to be a mechanic that's there. And then it's worked into the villains too. But for the most part, it's the same. Uh, thematically, they, they worked it in while well. you got like, Boarding axes and belaying pins and, you know, nautical weapons and nautical items. And you, your allies are like the captain and the, the deck swab, stuff like that. So, I mean, thematically it's there, but the boats themselves is a mechanic. I mean, in theory, you're getting it around. You use the boat to get around. So if you drop somebody off or somebody leaves the boat and then cause the boat is always with the, the active player. So if there are three players at a location and then I leave, they're stuck there <laughs> theoretically. <laughs> It's, uh, still an enjoyable game. Had fun. Worst trap ever. The, uh, the fire trap, which 
far more text on a card than for a game this simple should have. And then a really dick effect, too. (laughs) (laughs) Once you figure out what it's actually trying to tell you, you cry. (laughs) (laughs) But it was enjoyable. I like it. And uh, Rochester Mike and me uh, and I and one of the other Pathfinder guys are looking at maybe trying to get another couple players in to do uh, to campaign it since he's subscribed to all the uh, character add-on packs too, so that we can have more than just the core game to cycle into your deck. So I told you what I want to do. I wanted- But I said, no, I don't <laughs> swing that way. Well, and then <laughs> when that got denied, <laughs> no, I want to do the uh, RPG game like night or weekends or something like that, where we do something like crossfire when it finally exists in my mind. It's it's Uh, real. Nope. Yep. Nope. I've touched it. Uh -uh. And then like, I've licked the plastic. I bet you have. (laughs) (laughs) And that, that is, that is a euphemism. (laughs) It was Jordal's plastic. I like, and you know, and the pathfinder stuff and yeah, I'd I'd be down for that since we, can't get or I can't. You you are actually in some RPG stuff, but well, said, what's a good night once a month for you to come down? Uh most nights. I thought we were playing bang. No, no, just, <laughs> just one finger and and no gun attached to it. Okay. Playing on Skype actually confused. works fairly well too. I've been doing that a little lately. Yeah, it's a card game. Though. Oh, that's oh, you're talking about the card game, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. a little harder to do on Skype. Yes, actually, not not really if both. People have the game. I've had actually a couple of trust. Yeah. I've had, I've had people ask me to, to teach it to them over mm. Skype. Pathfinder yeah. Adventure teaching. Card game that's and one stuff thing. Like that. Well, actually, I mean, but while playing, like playing with yeah. them. Well, yeah, I'd be in. All right. We're up to three. Woo. If we can tear Jordal away from his life and maybe get <laughs> one more person. We're good. Are we still on me? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Crossfire. It exists. Nope. Yep. Myth. Nope. Myth. It's real. Myth. I have an elven mage. Myth. With five karma, myth, I and got a sticker. The <laughs> I got, I got the upgrade to give me one more hit point. No stickers, people. It doesn't help. Nope. Fact, you answered incorrectly to Jordan's question. <laughs> 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 if you said, "Yeah, stickers," yeah, that's why we buy two copies. <laughs> no. Yes, it, it is technically part of the leveling up system. Unnecessary. That's point. enjoyable. It uh, even when you lose, most illusions are enjoyable. I doesn't exist. Just saying. Let it go, man. Let it go. <laughs> if CSI is to believed, you should get a shipping notice tomorrow. I'll believe it when yeah. I see it. But <laughs> delayed until September 2000. Well, that was part of the email too. That Crossfire was the 27th as well. Yeah. On from Catalyst today. So you know they gave me a rundown of the next few weeks or whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I saw that too. Yeah. I'll believe it when I see the shipping notice. Oh, yeah. Because. I'm assuming <laughs> that catalyst meant it's shipping in general, not we're sending it out right. to the, yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. Cause if it's only getting to the distributors tomorrow, then we're not going to see it until next week. No. And screw everybody. Well, and then there's always that coin flip on is CSI a distributor or are they the aftermarket for distributors for, you know, we've had that happen for a few games. And then the even worse thing. How many other things that are not released yet do I have tied up with that pre-order? I think that is the only thing on that particular pre-order. But the sad part is 
the character deck add-on is on a different pre-order just in case they didn't come out at the same time. And I think that one is waiting for something else. Well, that's that's not as important. That just adds genders for all the races and some alternate art. But everything <laughs> is, uh, I mean, it adds expandability, it expands right. the game, but it's not required to play right away. Yeah. But I know because it's a real game. Myth. Um, anyway. It, no, it's good. I really liked it. It's, uh, even when you lose, like you can lose, but as long as one person gets out alive, you still get some karma. If you ever, if everybody dies, obviously nobody wins. But even when that happens, it's still, um, still so tight that even though you see doom coming, you, you, you're still mathing your way through thinking you can, you can, can defeat it. So it, it, it's, it balances well, both as a win loss and then adding, uh, inexperienced characters in with experienced characters. There's stuff for handling that, you know, being too far ahead in karma to, to, so that you're not just outstripping the other characters. No, it's, it's a good game. Looking forward to it. I'm hoping they, cause it only comes with four characters to start. Mm-hmm. You got the, uh, street samurai, the decker, the mage, and the face. So I'm hoping they'll do a rigor and a shaman and. Oh, so that know. wasn't in the character expense. They didn't have like a rigor and shaman nope. in the character. Oh, that's. This sucks. is literally just the cards and stickers. Just the characters. No, I meant the character expansion pack. No. They, they didn't have that in there. Nope. Damn it. I want a rigor. Then I played. I hate this game. Sons of Anarchy last week. Another pre-order. <laughs> it exists. I, well, that one I'm not. Yeah, that one I know. That one's different. That's a whole different ball game there. You know, it's a well put together game, but as I wasn't really into the show, I, I'm just not quite as involved with it as other people at the table were, but it works well and mechanically it's pretty sound. I don't really have a desire to play it again. Uh, or at least it wouldn't be my number one pick on any given night, but it does give you some fun movements every now and then. Then I got a game of X wing. It was, uh, much more quicker than I thought because I had a really good round on offense while my opponent had a really bad round on defense and I vaped two of his four ships in one round. At that point, he kind of gave up understandably because I still had all four of mine and I'd only lost three shields. So he, he put up a valiant effort for one more round and then I vaped his TIE Phantom and then he was just left with the TIE Fighter and uh, conceded the game. I got to play this build again because it really, it didn't really work the way I wanted it to because quite early I got my ships out of formation. So it, it, this is a formula. This is a, a build that you got to keep everybody information so they can all get the bonus from the guy behind them. Uh, so I got to play this build again just to, to see if I can actually make it work. And then I got in the game of, uh, Warzone Resurrection, which is a minis game that's set in the, uh, the Mutant Chronicles, uh, universe. I don't know if you know that RPG. Yep. Uh, it's a minis game set in that universe. It's pretty solid. It's pretty fast. It's, it's pretty brutal. People die pretty fast. It's like WWX in that res- respect. It's got good fluff. It's, I've, I like the Mutant Chronicles universe in general and, uh, the minis are pretty cool. It's pretty fast paced and it's very terrain heavy. It, it's a game that recommends the table being, you know, uh, at least 50% terrain so that you really have to work around stuff and line of sight is, is very important. Yeah. I, I liked it. I'm going to keep using the one dude's army. I don't think I'm going to get into it as far as purchasing goes right now because, uh, it's strictly European. There's, it's just straight import at European prices, even with stores in, in the U.S. that carry it. So it's very expensive, and I can't afford yet another minis game, especially <laughs> an expensive one to get in on the ground floor. But it's enjoyable, and as long as the dudes will keep letting me use their Bauhaus, I'll keep using their Bauhaus. It's, yeah, it's kind of fun, and uh, that's what I got. Okay, done. I haven't gotten to do much board gaming recently, unfortunately. Done a little bit. A friend of mine, not one of my normal gaming group, he and his buddies have played Settlers of Catan a bunch of times, and they've recently graduated to Ticket to Ride. 
I invited him to my gaming weekend. He showed up, played one round of Lost Legends, and went out and bought the game right away. So he he's had me come over a couple times to help teach him and his friends how to play the game. Lost Legends, the game that does not have Carl's seal of approval. <laughs> I really like the game a lot, but I told him, go buy Seven Wonders, learn how to play that, and we'll learn how to play Lost Legends. So I did that, and they've been playing it a bunch, and they really like it. So I haven't been actually playing it, but I'm, I enjoy teaching. On the video game side, uh, my usual Sunday night group is uh, still playing our staples, Awesome Knots, League of Legends, doing some of the uh, arena stuff on Magicka. Been getting back into Torchlight 2 a little bit as I started downloading some of the um, user mods where they add in classes and stuff like that. That's pretty fun. And a, a new game came out that's free to play, but you have to spend money on anyway sort of game called Robocraft, which is a kind of a quick skirmish tank battle game, but in a Minecraft style. You fight to gain credits that you can buy blocks to build a different tank to go fight and shoot people and get some higher level of blocks and go build another tank and upgrade your tank with some better guns. and World of Tankcraft. <laughs> uh, I got tired of it pretty quick myself because it was just like, there's just, they released it so soon they didn't have much variety. It's like I can get level one of something and then I work my way up and I can buy a level two weapon of the same thing. So it just, it was just kind of the same game over and over again, even if you go up in levels. But they're working hard to add more and more stuff into it. And it's kind of a fun little system where you're shooting each other and the blocks are flying off and you get points for the different blocks. You try and drive this little vehicle with like two wheels left and two guns on it and barely turn. It, it, it's an Goblins Inc. <laughs> it, it almost feels like that, but it's like just a team skirmish and it matches last maybe five minutes. So it's good in that sense. And this last weekend, my friend Steve came over and we finished Tales of Zillia. <laughs> we spent most of Friday and all of Saturday and we finally got, we, we, we didn't finish it. We beat it. <laughs> After we beat it, then there's a whole percent achievement for you. Well, now that then there's a, there's a whole play, end adventure. <laughs> there's a whole uh, place that's like you have to go beat this other guy after you beat the game, sort of thing. And we check it out. It's like, oh, it's a whole freaking world. Okay, <laughs> well, we'll come back to this later. It's midnight. It's <laughs> we've been playing for two days straight, <laughs> but enjoyed it. Did all little side quests, all that fun stuff. And yes, this last week when it came out, I bought Tales of Zillia too. So <laughs> next time we get together after we beat that last guy, then we. Move on to the new game. Another hundred hours. Nothing wrong with that. No, I'd, if I'm paying sixty dollars and I'm getting a hundred hours of co-op play with somebody, that's a pretty good deal, actually. Yeah. And you know we're having a great time with it. So, and that's one playthrough. I started a second playthrough of Zillia with my sister. Nice. But it's actually got two storylines. It's got two lead characters, and you pick one in the beginning, mm-hmm. and their storylines are kind of different. You see different skits and stuff, so it's kind of neat that way with the replay-wise. Not a lot in. Actual board gaming and the tabletop side of things. Messing around with the prototype a bit. That's about it. But no major playing of it or anything. I get to catch Don up on it when he showed up tonight. But mostly working on the the intro scenario that we want to use and stuff. And that's about all I'll say for now because Bill and I are actually recording this weekend our first, you know, road to creation kind of thing. We're going to do a monthly recording to kind of uh, let everybody know where we are in the game design process, and plus it keeps me accountable. <laughs> I've made I made it a podcast thing, so it's now in my wheelhouse. Star Realms, playing the hell out of Star Realms. 
that's been a lot of fun. Been playing with a bunch of listeners, had some new listeners uh, sign up, been playing with a bunch of game designers I know. Jordal and I play all the time, and that's been a lot of fun. And we have the Star Realms IDs uh, thing on the website now. We've got something like 32, 33 people signed up for that because as of right now, they're talking about putting it in, but the Star Realms digital does not have like a friends list or anything. So uh, we've got the list. There's enough people there. We're actually, uh, I'm, I'm uh, considering doing an online tournament. Cause we've got quite a few people that are interested in that. So I think, uh, all us geeks might sponsor an online tournament here for star realms soon. So that'd be fun. Something I recently downloaded, started playing, uh, when I'm not playing star realms, I guess San Juan is on the Android now. So that I've actually never played the actual game, but I saw it, I saw it pop up on my tablet and it's like, Oh, I've, I love Puerto Rico and all that other stuff. So, and I've always heard good things about San Juan. So I grabbed it, started playing it. I'm actually really enjoying that. So that was kind of cool. And, and now it's got me for those people that always wonder, you know, does the digital do anything? One, I did buy Star Realms. I still think I'm going to like the digital better, but I got a copy of Star Realms. And now I'm jonesing for San Juan to have an actual physical copy <laughs> around. So I've been enjoying that. I still haven't grabbed the Manhattan project. I keep thinking about it. Uh, I know you've talked about it, but I've also seen some other people that are like, eh. And uh, you remember you were talking about how, you know, well, the Kickstarter didn't succeed, but it's out anyway. Uh, I actually saw where James talked about that and he's like, yeah, it's, it's released as is and all the money is going to the developer because he didn't get paid and he still did some of the work. So unless this sells really well, it's going to be hard to get updates into it. But if it can sell really well, He's willing to work on updates for it. Yeah, it would be nice if they had like a scalable AI so you could have like a easy, medium, hard or something like that. So basically the release was, well, this is what we were able to do without the Kickstarter. And this is where it's going to stand until this guy gets paid. It's the way it kind of sounds. Sounded, but you said, I mean, in in general, you said you were kind of enjoying it. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, it's not the most challenging game, even in. In real life, it's how your turn goes and what's available, and and that's uh, that's captured in the in the tablet version. I mean, I got no, I got no problems having paid seven bucks for it. I enjoy playing it, so I'm still, yeah, I'm still looking at picking that one up because, like we said before, if somebody brings something to the Android, <laughs> like to support it, because not a lot of people bring stuff to the Android these days. Castle Storm again. I'm still playing a little bit of that. I haven't played a lot of that recently, but I did play some of it and that's that tower defense one i talked about last time where you actually build your castle and how you build your castle is what units you get to produce to go after the other castle and and how strong your castle is because they're trying to destroy your castle and if they destroy parts of your castle and get through to like the room that produces your knight say you can't produce a knight anymore if that gets destroyed so that's that's actually been kind of a fun one and castle story uh, which is, that was one way back when I kickstarted and I've had it, I've had the, it's still open beta or whatever alpha. Um, so it's, it's still not full release yet, but I hadn't played it in a while and they'd put some updates out. So I'd played that a little bit. I think this past weekend enjoyed it. They got some of the bugs out. There's still some buggy things in it, but still is kind of fun. It's just this little like voxel kind of guys that, you know, it's your, control the workers and i usually play in survival mode. there's sandbox mode where you can build whatever the hell you want to but i usually play in survival mode so there's like a countdown timer you start you've got like four or five guys one of them's uh and the workers are regular worker archer and like a sword guy like a guard 
and it starts you off with like four workers and a guard. And then there's a countdown in survival mode. Countdown means you're going to get attacked. And usually it's like in the evening or something like that. So the monsters are going to kind of swarm you. So in that time of the countdown, you've got to kind of, okay, well, you guys go get, get lumber. You start mining, get me some stuff. Here's where I want you to collect it all. Okay. Now one worker start building me a tower, you know, that kind of stuff. So you build like your castle and it's through the countdown and then you get attacked. You survive that the countdown starts over and, and the attacks get more and more uh, intense. So you're kind of building up to protect yourself, building more workers, building more guards. You can build things like catapults and stuff like that. You can get the archers up on the tower. So it, it's kind of fun and it's still a little buggy. So it's going to be kind of interesting when they, get all that worked out war for the overworld we've talked about that one in the past before but i haven't played that one in a long time i think that was one i think i did not kickstart but i got in on the early access and it's still early access i hadn't played in a while i knew it did a couple updates i saw it do some updates through steam so this weekend i was like oh, i'm gonna check that out and it was a sample of a campaign so that was kind of cool because before that it was all kind of sandboxy stuff this was you actually are like going after another overlord. Uh, and so kind of like trying to take over their area and stuff. So it was that interaction and them attacking you. And when you finally discover where they are and all that stuff. So that was a lot of fun. I played through that very quick snippet, but still looking forward to that. It's a very good dungeon keeper replacement prison architect for research. (laughs) I still love that game. Again, they do that monthly build on that one. And I, I like it almost every, every time they, they do the build, they usually add some really cool things. And then I could not remember the last time I fired up my Xbox and did anything on my Xbox. And then the other night when you were over, like Megan was upstairs playing like Star Wars or something like that. So she got some, so I, uh, I, I've decided to put in your favorite game, The Witcher 2, uh, Assassin of Kings. I didn't and, hate it. It just didn't grab me. Yeah, well, I mean, you, you did you you didn't play it very much. Like you gave it back to me almost immediately. No, I had it for a few months. I mean, I went through. No, you did not. Yeah, I did. <laughs> I I kind of have to agree with you though. Like the first Witcher I played that wasn't on the Xbox. It was on the PC. It was I was struggling through the beginning of it because it was too much of that. I hate when games do that whole. You're playing a game by watching, <laughs> and and it was a whole lot of oh my god. When do I take control? <laughs> Up in the beginning. And then even some of the way they did the cutscenes and stuff in the middle, so far that I've been playing, it's kind of, eh. So it's, I put it in cause I like, I like the Witcher and I know Witcher 3 is coming. And like I said, the Witcher was on PC, wasn't Witcher on Xbox. Witcher is coming. Witcher is coming. Uh, and this, yeah. So the, the second one, I don't know. It's, yeah, it, it, it doesn't have the same feel to me. So I, I definitely, but you know, when you came back, cause I hadn't played it yet when you borrowed it and you're like, eh, I'm like, what? What do you mean? Eh? No, and, it just, it, it wasn't <laughs> bad. It just didn't grab me. It was just very much, uh, that's it. You know, it just, it just didn't grab me. Yeah. So I, I still, it's still up there. It's kind of, I'm going to kind of come in and out of that one a little bit, but, uh, it was, my dusting off the Xbox for myself, I guess, <laughs> since I couldn't remember the last time I fired up the Xbox and played anything. And it was kind of sitting on my side table by my chair. I was like, all right, I'll throw that in real quick. Yeah, right now my consoles are just used for video. <laughs> I'm really debating, you know, starting to save for, for the one. For the one for <laughs> Arkham Knight. Yeah. 
because that's going to kick ass. Yeah, that's that's well, we've talked about that. that's my switch over at some point too. Yeah. Actually, something something else Megan saw recently that's kind of like, oh, what are we going to do this? <laughs> well, the gameplay footage for Mortal Kombat, yes, terrible. almost oh. makes me want to that try that's... to get proficient at fight games again. <laughs> oh, it looks pretty. Yeah, that's the Arkham Knight is my transition, but. Mortal Kombat is one of the early buys. And, uh, of course, Tim, yes, I'll get Dead Rising 3 as well because I do want to play Dead Rising 3. I wanted to play that one for a while, but again, yeah. You went X-Bone, dude. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to go X-Bone until uh, I have to. <laughs> and Dead Rising 3 wasn't the transition for me, but I want to play it. So Arkham Knight Arkham will be the one. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of episode 50. Don, thanks for coming hanging out with us again, sir. Thank you for having me once again. <laughs> it was uh, good having you here, and hopefully you'll continue to get feedback here off and on. Again, if uh, there's anything you want to relay to Don, apparently I'm his secretary, so you can do podcasts at allhisgeeks.com, or he stalks us on Facebook, so you can leave comments there. <laughs> All right, so as always, I'm Jeff King. And I'm the Canadian. Thanks for listening. This podcast is a proud member of the GeekCast Network. If you enjoyed it and are looking for other podcasts with a geek culture slant, head over to geekcastnetwork.com, where you will find podcasts such as Two Bald Geeks, a podcast by two bald horror movie fans that dissect one horror movie a month, saving the spoilers for last. The GeekCast Network. You can broadcast your geekiness at geekcastnetwork.com.